The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Food IQ. Big new book, cookbook. Congratulations. It's a great idea because there are so many fucking questions that uh, so many people have about like what is the way to do things like what is better like what what how what is the difference between a cheap knife and an expensive knife do i need an expensive knife so if you're a chef every everybody anybody that, that that lives in the world of food you just get like you get you probably get pitched ideas all day long oh, sure. you're an entertainment guy if you're a chef you get the like what's the best way to cook the chicken right what's the best way to salt this what's the best way to what kind of pan should i buy so do you have a stack of these? Like here, read. So that was the idea. I'm like, I got to profit off this. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired of answering these questions for free. And uh, this hat that you gave me is your L.A. pizzeria, Danny Boy's Pizza. Which, which, by the way, L.A. fucking needs really good pizza. pizza because the pizza in L.A. is a lot of hit or miss. There are a lot of there are a lot of pizzerias in L.A. And you're in downtown L.A. That's We're a risky right. move. <laughs> You don't even know risky movies. When did you open? We're in a we're in the we're in the base the, the the ground floor of a giant building, like a giant like corporate building, oh. and uh, it's just a ghost town. It's like nobody was there. Is anybody months. in the corporate building? For for the last six months, it's been completely empty. Now people are coming wow. back to work finally, mm. so paying off. When did when it was did a long you, game. when did you open it? We opened six months ago. Oh no! Oh yeah, <laughs> and it was perfect timing though because you know like COVID there it was. Is. Danny oh, Boy's Pizza. Oh, there's Adam, Dude, handsome that guy. Looks like a legit pizza Real place. Pizzeria. I want a fucking pizza. I know pizza I should have right brought now. you pizza. No, 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 no. It would, it wouldn't have been pizza. right. I have to be there. Like, you see that little pizza. bubbles on the crust? It's like a whole thing. I want to talk mm. to you. How much time we got? Like 15 got minutes? How much time right, we we'll want, talk about bro? That, <laughs> that oh, looks yeah, like goddamn that good. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I always want to know, like, what is the purpose of wood-fired pizza? Is it, does it make the food taste better? Does it does it impart like a smoky flavor to the to the pizza? It definitely imparts a smoky flavor. It's also hot, right? And like cooking over wood is special. So yeah, we you know that because yeah. you're you're like a wood fired cooking enthusiast. I've gotten really into it lately. Yeah. I got one of those RGT. Are you grill, style you're grills. grilling or barbecuing also? Or everything? I do a lot of stuff. I'm I'm obsessed with cooking meat in particular. But uh, I got one of those Argentine, you know, crank up. Yeah, amazing. Up, yeah, it's amazing. I Let love me, cooking over hardwood. Wh- what company did you get it from? I got it from Sunterra, Sunterra Pro, but um, I'm having a whole outdoor system uh, installed, like, you know, with brick and mortar and everything yeah. by a company called Grillworks. Oh, yeah, Ben, Grillworks. Yeah, Grillworks. They're the best, right? They did the uh, that place that I love, Bizarre Meats in Vegas. I think that they make some of the most stunningly beautiful grills out there, um, and they work really, really well. Um, and, re- and great restaurants use them. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I would say is, you know, th- there's one piece of the puzzle that I've learned recently from these guys at J&R. J&R make really great grills as well, phenomenal grills. And they've got this fire brick that they line them with. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Like, and the fire brick, it holds the heat in a way that's really interesting. Like that, uh, I'm learning a lot about wood-fired cooking. Um, it's something, it's an, a little bit of an obsession. And I feel like if the the fire brick itself, if you can get that hot, you that's where the heat comes from, and then the wood becomes the flavor. Are you sense. a reverse sear guy? Are you? Do you like to cook? F- How do you like to do a steak? 
We should explain a reverse sear for folks who don't know what cooking yeah, is. Th- can you re- explain reverse sure. sear for me? The, you're cooking s- it slow and then and then hitting it at the end? Yes, you're searing it off. You're cooking it slow to get, I like to get it to an internal temperature of 100 degrees, and then I sear the shit out of the outside of it. Unless it's a thick steak, then I like to bring it to about And is this like a sous vide situation where you're no, doing it? No, I How? just do it. I just, on the Argentine thing, I just have it cranked up way high. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I have one of those meter probes. I really like those meter probes. Um, you know, so it's a Bluetooth probe. I stick it into the meat and it shows me always what temperature. And I have four of them. So I have four, like if I'm cooking four different steaks, I can, I have them numbered. And it tells me, you know, where everything is at. And what I love about doing it that way is, because since I've been cooking a lot over hardwood, so I'm getting all this smoke from the hardwood. So it's like smoky steak. It's fantastic. And then at the end, I sear the shit out of it. I feel like, I feel like there are a lot of great ways to cook a steak. Yeah. And, you know, for a bigger piece of meat, that reverse sear, like a real thick piece of meat, a reverse sear might be the best way. But for a thinner steak, um, I, maybe it's not necessary. Maybe yeah, I don't I love it. Um, but low and slow until you've got almost like prime rib texture and then searing the outside is phenomenal. Yeah. There's something about cooking when that, that as a chef it feels like cheating sometimes. Like people use the sous vide, you know, you put the probe in there mm-hmm. and it's like, it's all, it's not too easy, but it feels like you don't get the part of it is the you know like I I made this over fire I just threw it in Tricky. the fire and you ever throw it right on the coals? I have not. I've never seen done people that. do it cowboy style, right? That's yeah. what they call it. I work for I work for this French French guy Laurent Monrique, and he um he basically was like we were we were cooking these quails. Uh, uh, and the quails were dripping fat into the fire, and the fire was flaming up, and it was like starting to burn the skin. And he's like, you know, put it in the fire, put it in the. And we're like, what the fuck is this guy's an idiot? Like, you can put it in the fire; it's gonna burn. Like, what's wrong with him? Like, in France, heat doesn't work the same way. And he just like <laughs> kicked the grill, knocked the quail into the fire, and it, the the you know, the, it smothered the fire because the oxygen wasn't there to to to, to burn. And it like made a perfect crispy skin, wasn't burnt at all. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. This guy's, this guy's the, you know, he's the Yoda of whatever. So now I've gotten into that and people freak out. It's, I don't, it's definitely not the best way in my opinion to cook a steak, but if you want to impress your friends, you got a wood fire, you know, a dry rub stops it from getting like gritty or whatever. You throw the steak right on the coals and people freak out. They think you're going to ruin dinner and then it comes out perfectly crispy. It's cool. Do you cool. have to, when you do it that way, do you have to brush off the ash or anything? So, the, so like if you think about your coals burning, I usually take like a wet towel and I throw them down just to, just to like get any of the ash that's sitting on. What's that? There's like crazy lights. Oh, there's a shooting star in the ceiling. I thought that might have been like a, a near <laughs> miss from your comment. I've been listening to your podcast now. I'm like freaking out, dude. Well, comments. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm just like Randall any Carlson. Day. Yeah, yeah, that guy, um, dude. He freaks me out too. The last three weeks, I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm gonna, what am I supposed to talk to you about? The earth's about to end. And I'm like, yeah, this is how you cook a steak in the meantime. <laughs> well, in the quick. meantime, we have to eat. <laughs> while it's you're important. at it. <laughs> yeah, while you're at it. So uh, the wet cloth uh, takes some of the excess ash that's sitting on the top of the coals? I think the two tricks are, first is I, I like to put a dry rub, like some sort of a spice rub on the outside of the steak. What do you which, like to use? I like um, 
depending if you're gonna if you want to go in an Italian direction, maybe fennel seed helps. I like coriander seed if you like maybe a little bit more, more of a Middle Eastern kind of flavor. Maybe coriander seed, black pepper if you just want to do black pepper and salt, like traditional barbecue fifty mm-hmm. fifty blend. That's generally what I do. That works great. Just something to be a little bit gritty, because then if you do get a little ash, maybe you mistake it mistake the texture mm, I see you know what I mean yeah and then and then and then I take a wet towel I throw it on the you know so you burn your burn your fire down till you got coals throw a wet towel on there um just to kind of get any ash any errant ash off then you put the steak right on there and you'll see what happens the flames will come up around the steak but the steak itself is protected and you just gotta be patient you sit it there you don't don't flip it don't mess with it because as soon as you pick it up what happens is that the fat that's rendering off the steak, as soon as it gets any oxygen, it's going to ignite and it will burn the shit out of your steak. Mm. It's a nightmare. So as long as you are patient, you don't pick it up and then you just flip it once, wait your time and pull it off. It'll be beautifully golden brown. Try it. I will try it. Um, someone explained to me that um, steel and cast iron, they're much better conductors of heat than coals. And then if you actually, you would think that laying something down over the coal would make it cook quicker, but that's not necessarily the case. I think that that's, that's true. I mean, I'm not like a scientist guy. Um, not a scientist, Joe. But <laughs> Whenever uh, you say I'm not a scientist guy, <laughs> I'm not a scientist I believe guy. you. I'm not a chef guy. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, but yeah, steel obviously trans, transmits heat, which is why um, it cools down quickly as well, right? So if you've got mm-hmm. a thin pan, you throw a steak in there. The heat gets sucked out right away. Which um, leads me to this. Do you prefer cast iron or do you prefer carbon steel? Joe, it's for $35. It's in the book. Food IQ. (laughs) Go to www. Um, uh, So they're just different, right? So like cast iron is thicker, right? Traditionally thicker. Um, I don't know what the specific heat of cast iron versus carbon steel is. So like that would be the scientific term for how long... How much energy it is going to hold per you know joule of heat or whatever it is the scientific term for it. But basically, you're saying like there's a certain amount of of energy that's held in the pan that's going to get transferred into the meat, and the more energy that's in there, the longer it's going to stay hot, even though you put a cold piece of meat on it. So mm. like you get a thick cast iron pan, you heat it up in the oven or whatever it is over the flame for it might take ten minutes to heat up, but then it stays hot when your steak goes in there. Steel pans tend to be a little thinner, so even if they're, even if they're they're going to hold a lot of energy, they don't they they're just not as much mass of hot steel, right? That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That does make sense. I think they're pretty much the they're similar. Like I worked at a really fancy French fish restaurant, and they used steel pans for searing the fish. Mm. And part of that is also that you can like the problem with the cast iron pan if it's too hot or too cold, you're kind of out of luck. Like there's no heating it up fast. Right. Whereas a steel pan, if it's a little thicker, it'll react to the flame below and transfer that heat maybe so you can heat it up quickly if it's a little hot or, or cool it down. So it's just a time thing. It's not a quality of cooking thing? I think it's a um, a time thing and the type of thing you're trying to cook. Like a piece of fish maybe is six ounces and, um, you know, it, it only takes so much energy out of the pan to crisp up before it cools down. Because we've all done the thing where you throw a piece of chicken or something in a pan 
and it sticks. It gets like wet and all the heat, the energy gets pulled out of the pan mm-hmm. and like it'll crackle for a second. Mushrooms are a great example. It's like you throw, you're like, I'm going to sear these mushrooms. You throw them in and then it's just like a pool of water, like boiling. And that's because, you know, the heat in the pan gets sucked out and then there's not enough energy to boil off the moisture that's getting pulled out of the mushrooms and you get, you know, boiled mushrooms, which which are delicious, luckily. But boiled steak isn't, isn't as great. Yeah, boiled steak with the boiled mushrooms. Yeah, kind not, of everything <laughs> not as great. So therefore, you know, if you get that thick cast iron pan, you get it hot. You're you're going to stay hot throughout the cooking process, which is great. Steak, I want a nice crispy, you know, whatever it is, thick. But if I do a piece of chicken in there, maybe it burns, or maybe mm. the skin's overly crispy. Right. Do you have a a specific way that you prefer to cook steak? Like, do you have a method? Like, if you, if Danny's got a go to method, I give you a two pound cowboy (laughs) ribeye. So that's what I I feel like what what happens is depends upon the piece of meat. That's Mm. what's so beautiful about, you know, a cow's got all these different pieces and they all need a little bit of different cooking style. I mean, when you cook a ribeye, you don't cook it the same way as you cook a New York steak. Um, maybe a ribeye's got, you know, if you think about a ribeye and a New York steak are coming right off the, like the back strap, um, and a cow, I mean, you know, where, where, from an anatomy perspective where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. So it's coming from like that strip of your back and you've got, you know, if you feel your chest, you've got the ribs up tops and they wrap around to the back and that's where the ribeye is. So like the New York steak is coming from below where there's no ribs attached, but it's really the same strip of meat, right? So it's very, very similar just that the ribeye has all that internal kind of like thicker pieces of fat in there. So maybe cooking that, that reverse sear where you're slowly heating it up and then letting that, that, that fat melt because you don't want a cold hunk of like beef fat is has, melts at a high temperature. It's got a really waxy texture. So you eat like cold beef fat in your steak. It's not going to be great. Whereas a New York steak, I like it more on the rare side and I wouldn't mind even a thick steak you know, cooking it a little bit faster, having it maybe just be warm in the center. So mm. I think it really depends on the steak, man. Like, do you uh, tend to cook over fire, or you do? Do you sometimes cook a, a steak on just on a cast iron, if it's, if it's a thinner steak? So I grew up in New York City. Um, in the book, we talk a lot about cooking under the under the broiler in your house. Mm. I think it's like a lesser utilized piece of kitchen equipment. And I grew up in New York City where you didn't really have an outdoor space. So you didn't have fire. So moving out to Los Angeles, being able to cook over the fire, it's like an obsession. You know, it's like all I want to do cuz you don't you didn't get that. But you can definitely cook great steak, you know, you know, in a frying pan for sure. And like, you know, classic French technique with you throw butter and herbs and garlic in there at the end and maybe you do a pan roast where you cook it over the fire and you throw it in the oven. Like, that's a delicious way to cook a steak. The fire adds just that extra, although I always find this funny. You, when you grill or, or you barbecue, it's like you don't really taste the smoke yourself. Mm-hmm. And then the next day you go to eat the leftovers and it's like, holy shit, this thing smells like an ashtray. It's amazing how much yeah. smoke is on there. Right. I feel like you're, you, get, you get quickly desensitized to the smoke yourself. Because you're just accustomed to smelling it while you're cooking it? I mean, think about it. Like, haven't you had that experience? Like you cook barbecue or you cook some, some steak, you grill it, and then you eat it and it doesn't really taste smoky. 
But then if you taste someone else that's making the same thing, it really get that taste. I think when you, yeah. Well, that's a, I think that's a function of the olfactory senses because your, your nose is meant to detect changes in smells. That's why people, you ever drive through Pennsylvania, the farm country, it smells like, my, my parents used to live in Harrisburg. When I used to go to visit them, I used to drive through farm country and it just smells like fucking death. Yeah. It smells so bad, but the people that live there don't smell it at all. Because your nose sort of detects changes in smell more than it detects Yeah, the smells. paper factory. You're like, how right. could you ever live here? Right, right, right. I've never stayed long enough to get desensitized, <laughs> but I hear. Yeah. yeah, so maybe that's the same thing with uh, cooking over the smoke. I think you're. I think. I think you're probably right. But I don't. I, t- I taste a difference. And when I got really into it, once I got this uh, Argentine style grill and I started cooking over hardwood, I'm like, I mean, regular steaks are great, but cooking a steak over fire, over just wood, there's something better. Like coal's great. Like charcoal, lump charcoal's great, but next level's actual wood. So I built. I don't know. Over Christmas two years ago, I've always loved to weld. I've been like a welder. It's been fun I've for me. seen your grills. They're so, fucking top notch, okay. man. They're really dope. So, two, I uh, thank you. I'm really, really proud. It's like one of you know. It's like one of the things I'm really proud of. I I hired a welding instructor because I was like, I'm really terrible at this. I, I'm self taught. I hired a welding instructor. I spent a whole day with him, and then I ordered three thousand pounds of steel. I called <laughs> I called the steel yard, and the guy's like, oh, like you know what? You know, I was like, oh, come pick it up, man. What are you talking about? He's like. What kind of truck you got? I was like, fuck. I was just so, so shamed. I was like, man, I got a Chevy truck. Like, what are you talking about? I can throw it in the back. And he's like, no. Like, how many pounds is it rated for? I was like, dude, this guy's <laughs> killing me. I was like, I was like, I'm supposed to know this. So I looked up in the manual. And I'm like, oh, I can't put that steel on my truck. Yeah, you can't even drag it. No chance. <laughs> so they they delivered it to my house, and they're like, you know. Classic, like curbside only. It's like curbside only. Yeah, well, they're fucking, it's so big. They can't be responsible yeah. for moving that thing around, well, for $20, right? $20, he was responsible. I was like, yeah, I'll give you $20 to carry the shit inside. Like, really? Yes, 100%. $20. I gave That's him, it? I might have given him, a, yeah, I gave him $20. Flat. So you made a good <laughs> deal, Danny. <laughs> I helped. I helped. <laughs> but yeah, those. Uh, that's the thing out here is offset smokers. You know, um, Texas is famous for offset smokers and, and barbecue. And uh, that's the next thing I'm going to do. I'm going to get an offset smoker and start grilling on the firebox and doing the reverse sear inside the. So I came like, you know, I came out here a day early for because thank you. You flew me out here. It's really, really kind, generous. My pleasure. Excited to be out here. I'd been out to Austin one time before. And it's like the barbecue is just legendary. It's pretty yeah. awesome. And so I, I, the last time I was here, I stood in line at the barbecue and. I, I never liked brisket in my life. Like, I'm Jew from New York. Like, brisket was like my aunt made brisket. Just, I don't know if like, we're supposed to love the brisket, but it just wasn't that great. I'm sorry. She's, she doesn't listen to you. I hope so. I hope not. I doubt she I does. Not. Although, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. People, a lot of people listen to you, so you just never know. My never aunt know. might be really angry at me right now. She, um, and I, I bit into that brisket at the barbecue after two hours, and it was like a, it was like a life-changing experience. It was like fat held together by just like a little bit of meat, and I never, I never had anything like that. It was so. They good. know what the fuck they're doing out here, and apparently the history of it is explained to me by my friend Adam Curry, is that it was German settlers that came in here like way back in the day, and they were, you know, they smoked meat. They smoked a lot of sausages and smoked a lot of meat, and something, you know, in this area, you know how like. Italian food on the East Coast is very different than Italian food in Italy. Mm. Well, that's the German food in Texas became very different 
than the you know the smoked meat that they would cook in Germany and they developed with all the spices and the sauces that they use out here and the rubs and they just developed this amazing method with you know using those big old barrel smokers wow i had no idea about that yeah that's what that's the root, the root of it all i actually ate at the salt lick this past weekend which you is went out down in driftwood there. yeah, yeah. That place, I mean, that Legendary. grill is so cool. <laughs> it's amazing. It's just so cool. That place is amazing. First of all, it's so big. When you go there, you can't believe how many people are eating there. Juggernaut. They're it's just huge. making so much. I mean, they're responsible for like wiping out half the cattle. There's a lot of cows out here, fortunately. But uh, the fucking barbecue is sensational. Their burnt ends, oh my God, they're so good. Everything was good. They have bison ribs too. They were fantastic. I was talking to my buddy moved out of here and, and he's like telling me, you know, you got to go here. This is my favorite place. And I'm a chef. So people get a little bit self-conscious when I prefer something they didn't like. And I'm like, guys, you got to understand, like the barbecue out here, it's all at like a 99%. It's all so good. It's the best barbecue in the world. Better than anything else I've ever had. I, this one just happens to be like 99 and a half percent. It's like a right. little bit better. So like I happen to prefer this one, but like. Don't feel bad, man. Yours is great, too. It There's so, so many good. good spots out here. You can't go wrong with La Barbecue, though. They're amazing. I, I had that years and years ago. It was fantastic. I, I had it yesterday again. So, like... Oh, okay. So, I, I went up. I went to Terry... Um, Terry Black's? Terry Black's, you know, and, and, and I had a meal in the morning. and Because they opened 30 minutes before everybody else. Ah. They're a 24-hour operation. I was in the smoke. That's the other thing. You can go and, like, go into their smokehouse yeah. and talk to them. And the guy's yeah. like... You know, it was like tweaking out. He's He'll show you since... the briskets. Yeah. yeah, he opened it up. It was so cool, man. It was so cool. And yeah. then um, and then I just bang, bang. I went right over to what's like called Wathens. Or what, 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 uh, what's it called? It's like there are two that are the most the most popular right now. It's called... Uh, Franklin? No, it's, uh, it's down the block from Franklin's. It's such a cool vibe. There's like a little truck outside, you know, drinking beers online. Oh, okay. Family pic- picnicking. You got to help me out, bud. I need help. Starts with a W? Yeah, it starts with a W. It's got a great name. What Terry Black's does White. better than anybody is beef ribs. Their beef oh. ribs are fucking insane. And you pick up the bone and it just slides right off the beef rib. But the, the beef I've never rib been I've never right been to Franklin, bone. you know, but I use his book. That's the book. When Franklin's I want Franklin's awesome too. I've had his brisket, it's insane. So when I want to barbecue at home, I I go I just follow the steps from the Franklin Barbecue book. And well, Aaron like has a bunch perfect. of good v- videos online too. You can he's got some YouTube tutorials. He shows like how to tend to an offset grill and the whole deal. He's his rib recipe, like all those recipes. There are very few cookbooks like this, like where if you follow a recipe, you get the result that, like you would get at the restaurant. You know, mm-hmm. and it's not an easy recipe though. It's like you know. Wake up at four in the morning. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. I mean, it's a twelve-hour cook yeah. at least, right? So I didn't. I did a. Um, I didn't do an offset. I did the the firebox below, um, and I did that because, you know, first of all, I spent I spent like a month and a half designing this grill. I mean, obsessing online all the different Can we types see? of. Do you have, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I, I sent you like videos and pictures of this thing. I'm did really... you get it, Jamie, or did uh, I get it? I think I got it. I'll I can for, I can forward it to you as well. I'll do it because I got it right here. Give me one second. But go ahead. So basically, like you know, I obsessed over there are these amazing bread baking ovens in India that that the way that they funnel the smoke from below allows them to be extremely extremely even. You know, and I, I just I don't know. I dorked out on it. It's like you know, I get very excited about something. I want to make the best of it. You're making it one time. It's three thousand pounds. So you're not 
making it again. Um, and I ultimately screwed up like we all do. But um, but I ended up saying, you know, I want to have something that's a little more versatile than just a grill that I can only do one type of barbecue on. Mm-hmm. So I put the fired below with the idea that um, I can get it raging hot. I mean, I can get this thing up to like 800 degrees and I can do classic pizza or I can do bread baking. And it's got stones that I can slide in and out of it. Um, so it's a little bit more versatile. Getting the heat to be consistent when the fire's below is a challenge, but you can do it. Pretty, you know, you can do it. You can get around that. What is the benefit of doing that versus um, an offset? Just because you can then, so I love to, this is my latest kind of like obsession with this thing is I like to get a fire going, cook on the grill right above the fire and then close the door. So it's like a hybrid smoke roast like a hotter like barbecue like you're barbecuing at whatever it is you know a mm-hmm. hundred and instead of like a, a 275 you're barbecue barbecuing like 550 for grilled steak because you get that right. intense smoke flavor um but you also get a more even like oven heat around the whole thing uh, that that for me is really special and so um have you experimented with offsets and done it this way and you just decided that I, I've definitely bo- I've smoked meat on an offset, offset. Like you got me like real excited. <laughs> I also drank a coffee before this. I'm like, I want to talk all about There's this. There's more coffee right here if you want some. <laughs> oh, and thank you very much for this whiskey. It looks awesome. This is this is apple brandy from America's oldest distillery. Oh wow! From in New Jersey. America's oldest distillery is in New Jersey. How's that possible? So this is this thing that I I'm like I don't have anything to do with these guys. I don't know them. I just happen to like. Apple. And so if you look at the probably left the price on the top. I don't old. think it's true. I think Buffalo Trace is the oldest. Buffalo Trace was around before America. They're Buff- they're from seventeen seventy three. Okay, so you're probably right. I and um, think this think might be the oldest distillery in, in New Jersey. Yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm from I was born in New Jersey and um I was too. I just where were we born? Newark. Newark, New Jersey. Yeah. Wow. What a what a lovely town now. It's a mess. It's moved. It's moved. So you must be. That's why you got tough. You had to no, get tough. No, I got out when I was really young. Yeah, no. I, I moved out when I was seven, but I moved back when I was twenty-four. Wow. Yeah, I moved back for uh, about six months because my grandparents stayed there. One of the best, one of the greatest pizzerias in America in, in Newark right now. Oh, Newark has some amazing phenomenal. Italian food. Back in the day, especially, they had incredible bread. Like these bakeries where my grandparents would go walk down the street and buy bread. Wow. So either way, Italian neighborhood. So this is apple brandy, um, which Applejack. So in in France they call it Calvados, right? They make make brandy out of apples. Mm. It's very delicious. It tastes like reminiscent of the apples. You can taste it, but it's Should great. We have a little let's, touch? Yeah, take, let's see. Let's little have touch. a taste. Yeah. Have a little touch. Um, although I, I talked to a buddy of mine that was on your show, and uh, uh, Who's that? Uh, 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 Tiller Russell. Oh, okay. And. Um, and uh, uh, incredible, incredible director. And I was like, "Hey, man, you gotta give me some advice. You know, what can I? You know, what do I do?" He's like, "Just stay away from the, stay away from the booze." <laughs> Why did stay, he stay, didn't get liquor? He's like, up. "Stay away from the booze and whatever you do." He's like, "The CBD isn't just CBD. It <laughs> just is. Stay away That's from not it. true." <laughs> Taylor's lying. He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Just." It smells great. He's like, "You'll lose. You'll lose sight of." Nah, you'll be fine, dude. You're a goddamn. <laughs> I'm a chef, man. I've been drinking. Yeah, that's since. the thing about chefs, right? Cheers, sir. Thanks. The thing about chefs is they they fucking party hard. It's sometimes a little scary. I didn't know that until I met Bourdain. What's up, Jamie? I was looking up the history, Joe. Uh, It's America's oldest distiller. 
Um, wow. What is the year? It says 300 years. What? 1698. Jesus Christ. So it is older. Wow. It's older by almost 100 fucking years. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. I just but didn't want to disagree because I didn't actually Buffalo know. Trace's the oldest whiskey distillery like what is this what is this, this is brandy right Apple, yeah, yeah it's, it's an apple, apple brandy is, is called, there a so. difference I yeah mean, well, whiskey is made from from you know uh grain and right. apple brandy is made from fruit that's interesting me huh wow i just i feel like it doesn't get its due um i don't know anything about these guys like i'm worried i was like man i'm gonna go on the show i'm gonna like say and then it's gonna turn out these guys have some like sorted past and we get all kinds of trouble eh. I, I'm, all i'm saying is I think it's delicious. I think that apple brandy is really delicious, and it's inexpensive. Like the bourbons these days are so great, but they're they're pricey as hell. Man. Really old stuff is for sure. And uh, and this stuff is like this is their fanciest one. It's seven and a half years aged. It's, it's like really forty good. bucks, man. It's fucking really good. It's just the it's distinction delicious. from Buffalo Trace. Just oh, oldest continually operating distillery. Oh, so that place must have like closed down and then reopened. Yeah, that they took whole, a day off. Well, yeah, maybe in the up. 30s, the 20s. It was <laughs> Josephus Daniels that started that whole prohibition thing. Yeah, uh, you know, um, Buffalo Trace had an exemption during the whole prohibition. They they operated and made whiskey for medicinal purposes. Is that I heard you made? A, is that your? Yes, yeah. that's uh, Buffalo Trace and I worked together with uh, Fight for the Forgotten, and they developed like a special blend that's just for me. A special cat, like they gave me a bunch of things to try, and I chose one, and that's the one that they, they bottled up. So we have a giant jug of it over there. I just, you know, I'm a Buffalo Trace is one of my favorites. I They're love awesome, it. and it's also fair, fairly priced, which is for me, it's yes. important. It's like, yo, man, a thousand dollar bottle of whiskey. Like, who am I? The I'm people that are drink behind it, it too, you know? they're rock solid. Yeah. They're rock solid folks. But I made, I've done, a, you know, I've got, I've been fortunate enough to get a lot of like, get to go to France and make wine, or go here mm. and make this and. It's very funny to be like, oh, and you're going to make this. I'm like, well, this is paint by numbers. I'm not making this. I'm not making this whiskey. Like, let's be honest. Making whiskey and making wine. I mean, the people that wind up doing that, that is a fucking labor of love. I mean, because the amount of time and effort involved. First of all, like here, like, for example, this brandy, this is seven and a half years old. Yeah. So for, this has to sit in a cask for seven and a half years for the bottle. I mean, that's a great business model. You're like, yeah. oh, I got this great idea. I just need 100 grand in cash. And I'll see you in a In like decade. 10 years, <laughs> if it comes out right. That's a Buffalo Trace thing, too. Those are all eight years old. Every but that's why all these young distilleries are starting with um, gin. Because yes. they're like, you know, we can put out our gin right away. That'll hit our, you know, hit our P&L and we can start yeah. some cash flow while we're waiting for the stuff that needs to age. Or tequila or yeah. vodka, right? Those are things yeah. that don't necessarily have to be aged. Does tequila have to be aged? Tequila doesn't. Um, and vodka, vodka, a lot of those guys are just like buying medical grade, you know, ethanol and putting a label on there you know and it's great they, they really are it's really phenomenal you can do that we you know do, what i heard you would be so rich oh you already are but if you weren't already rich we could do that together we just i'll get the booze you put your label on there uh, well as long as it would it, have to, it would have to be good and i'm not much, well i actually do like vodka martinis but i like them extra dirty so what i'm having yeah. is like a lot of olive juice and the liquor i love those i have I feel I, like i'm fucking james bond when i drink them you know what i'm saying if when you when you start liking gin is when you got to worry about yourself. That's like why because it's like if you like the flavor of gin, there's alcoholism at, at you're like maybe just barely <laughs> holding it at bay. I don't know if I've ever had gin. You, you've had honest. gin. You've had a gin and tonic. You've had a tank. yeah. No, you've had right. tank and tonic in your day. Come on, you've been you're at right. that bar. I have had a gin and tonic. Yes, I have. 
but I don't know if ever I could not like tell you what gin tastes like. Like if you give me a glass like a glass of vodka, I know what vodka t- whiskey obviously. I'm a big whiskey drinker. Gin is um gin tastes like juniper berries, right? Oh. Juniper berries like gen- gen- juniper, isn't it? Juniper. juniper berries, yeah. Juniper berries, juniper is the thing that fucks everybody up in Austin. Really? That, yeah, that's the uh, the allergy that everybody has. They call cedar fever. It's actually juniper that they're allergic to. I don't know if it's in the cedar family or what the deal is, but that's what everybody tweaks about. I love the way I said that. I was like, oh, of course, it tastes like juniper. You're like, oh, yeah, because I know what juniper I'm constantly tasting that's juniper. That's the only reason why I know about junipers is because everybody yeah. free. I don't get allergies to the shit out here, but some people fucking, they, like my wife gets it, and some people get it bad out here. This It's weird, this town. I was getting, you know, so I had like adult onset allergies and they got worse and worse and worse. So I started getting shots and it's amazing. It's fixed me. Really? I, I went to an allergist in LA. Um, what were you getting allergies for? I w- you know, it started out with, um, with like hay fevery normally stuff and then it moved into stone fruit. I was eating cherries. I, I may or may not have been, I, I may or may not have been smoking marijuana at the time oh. and I was eating these cherries and my mouth started to tingle and I was like, I don't know what I did. I had to pull... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is not this is not healthy. St- you call them stone fruit. <laughs> stone fruit, like anything with a stone stone pit, like a like a cherry starts with cherries early in the season. Then like you know uh, oh, peaches and okay. plums have that hard rock hard pit. Would an That's avocado count as that too? Because it's kind of a fruit. Man, you're so far ahead of me. I have no idea. It's a fruit, but I it's, I don't know if that's a traditionally stone fruit. I don't think so. I've been on this wacky diet um, since January, where mostly what I eat is meat. I just eat meat and fruit. I don't eat any bread. I don't eat any pasta. And I've only like cheated a couple of times. I had like a bowl of ramen once, and and I had a cheeseburger with a bun on it. Is that? I mean, what was the goal? The I well, the goal is for me. I I don't know what it is about eating pasta and bread. First of all, I fucking love it. I love yeah. pizza. I love bread. I love a meatball sub. I love pasta, uh, but I bloat. My fucking gut gets fat. It grows. I, I gain weight. I, and it doesn't matter how hard I train. You look like an Eastern European man. I look like me. Yeah, I look like <laughs> me. That, but that, it all goes to my gut. Like, yeah. But when I stop eating like that, it goes. Yeah, it's I called a, a beer, a beer belly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I feel better. Like my, my joints feel better when I eat like this. I have more energy. My brother's been trying to get me to go gluten free because he's, you know, he's the same thing. He's like, bro, you don't want a fucking pizzeria. I know it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Although we do make a great gluten free pizza. I got to tell you, I'm really, really proud of it. What, really, do you, my, what do you use for the? Uh, so my buddy Vincent Rotolo's got this pizzeria called Good Pie in Vegas, and he's he won the I've heard co- of that place. The world championship for pizza. It's like a you know pizza fanatic. People get really into it. Really, where and is he, Good Pie? Where, where is it located? It's uh, it's, man, this is like that opportunity. He's going to be. Well, we'll find out. Jimmy, you got to find out Google where it is. It. It's probably in one of the casinos. There's actually a great barbecue place right across the street. One of the best barbecue places uh, outside of uh, oh. Texas. It's not. What's that? It's standalone. I think it's downtown. Oh, yeah, okay. It's, it's, oh, it's not. Oh, um, whole downtown area? Yeah, that new like strip that's just being really that's popularized. Nice. It's cool. There it is. Good pie. Good pie. Pizza. It's, oh, that's yeah. a nice area. That's a fun area of Vegas. He that's like up, a neighborhood. It's such a cool. Uh, I'm in about to Vegas hanging out with him because he really helped me, you know, with this pizzeria. And I've been going out there, and I don't even go to the strip. I don't even go to the casinos. I like. I'm like. I want to visit. It's cool. Mm, I fucking yeah. love a great pizza. I really do. But I he won couple... with his gluten free. That was his thing. So he. I no like, shit. So he won this this amazing you know Italian 
pizza competition with his gluten-free pizza. And, so he uh, won the overall with the gluten-free, or did he uh, win the gluten-free? I feel like there's uh, there's somebody out there that should should Google this. I don't know. Yeah, because yeah. I have a hard time yeah, believing that gluten-free <laughs> beat, beat the regular nasty for you. <laughs> Pizza. But he helped me out with my recipe, and and now I'm, you know, yeah. So I, I stole his recipe. Well, that's nice Sorry, of him. Vincent. Very nice of him. And so, how your place has been open for six months? How long have you been making pizza for? Did you were you making it before then? I've I've worked in restaurants and been the chef of restaurants that have pizza programs. So I've definitely been like oh. pizza adjacent. But the thing about it is, until you live and die day in and day out and do it, and it's your responsibility to build it, you don't really. So this was like. I want to learn how to make pizza. About four years, three years ago, I went out to Vegas and I started asking Vincent questions. I got like four friends all named Vincent that are pizza pizza analysts. All of them are named Vincent. <laughs> I got an um, uncle named Vincent. Don't yeah, worry he probably about makes it. pizza too. <laughs> I um the guy across I grew up on Eighty Third Street in first, and right across the street was was uh was Gino's Pizza and the guy that worked there Vincent, um, and uh, I asked I asked Vincent I kept on asking me these questions and he was like yo man you got to talk to this guy John Arena. This guy is the like he's the pizza Yoda, and 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 anytime I would start asking people like questions that got into like the science of pizza and really you needed to know, always pointed back you got to talk to this guy John Arena. So Vincent hooked me up, and he takes you on as an apprentice. Like he wants to make sure you're going to respect the craft before he starts talking to you, because so many chefs are like disrespect what goes into making pizza great. It's really, a, why do you think that is? I think because we don't necessarily um, appreciate how difficult it is, the science and the art and the craft that goes into it. And we think like, yo, man, I make a great chicken. I can make a great this. I can, you know, I'm a chef. I can do that. No problem. Like, that's just pizza. Mm. And then you start making pizza and you realize like, no, it's not just pizza. It's a, if you want to make great pizza, it's a, it's a specialty. It's, it, you have to be a great baker. And then it just... It's really, really deserves a lot of respect. So I would special. just say that that it would be. I was going to say that rather that would be akin to baking, baking, or being a great pastry chef or something like that. So that I mean, this guy John Reed, he's the guy that that could can can explain and knows the history of it. But you know, the baker was the brewmaster was the pizzaiola in the town when you know before that were those were separate jobs. Like it is very much being a baker. Mm. Um, and it's that's a whole amazing art form, you know. And there's incredible uh, advances happening in the world of baking now, even though it's like one of the oldest things. People have been baking bread for thousands and thousands of years. In the last twenty years, people have changed the whole game. It's amazing what's going on. Well, so. it's just it, it, cooking is so exciting now. I think what's going on is uh, you know you have this incredible history of cooking, right? But now what you have is a lot of people sharing stuff online, and uh, I follow probably like 30 or 40 cooks and chefs online and you know there's a bunch of pages that have like these very quickly edited mm -hmm. one minute almost like a one minute cooking show of how to put together a great meal or a great dish and it's 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 exciting and i think it's because of the cooking shows on television and the cooking shows on the internet and all these small little shows that are on tiktok and uh, for me it's instagram that i watch it's real exciting because it's making people enthusiastic about cooking and it's I think it's introducing the option of becoming a cook, becoming a chef to a lot of people out there. I feel like today more people want to cook than have ever before. And fewer people know how to cook than ever before. Like really? in the 50s, you know, um, folks stopped cooking. 
you know, between microwave cooking and more and more people entering the workforce, few, less time, advertising really made it feel like, you know, you should be guilty for, for taking time to cook and you should really just, you know, microwave your dinner. Fast food restaurants came into the equation and people started trading home-cooked meals for ordering in and, and going out. And so few, you know, cooking is hand, handed down from mm-hmm. generation to generation. It's a, it's a hands-on learning experience. And so if your parents or the folks that you would learn from don't know how to cook, you're not going to learn how to cook. And so when that stopped in the 1950s, you know, really after World War, War II, um, uh, we lost kind of three generations of institutional knowledge. And when you lose that knowledge, there's no one to teach you how to cook. And then all of a sudden the Internet comes around. And it's like, oh, here's a new opportunity to spread the, you know, communicate the, the, these, these techniques and this learning. And so more people are now interested and they're, they're starting to learn. They're looking for resources. It's cool. That was, I mean, like, uh, that was the, the whole idea of this cookbook was like, there's so much bullshit out there. So many people want to make their jobs seem interesting, overcomplicate stuff. And so many people are intimidated because you start learning how to cook and it's like, you know, if I'm not, if it's not great, it's garbage. Mm. And then you, if you really break it down though, it's pretty straightforward and simple. Like, you learn a few techniques and it goes so far and it's like a great you give yourself the greatest gift you and your family the greatest gift you can ever give like through the pandemic you know i felt bad i felt bad my buddy my buddy daniel sharp was moving (laughs) he got stuck with me he was supposed to go to he was like on a on a three week three month asia vacation and it was like can i just like crash with you for a couple weeks and i was like his itinerary just got shut down so he got stuck with me He's a chef. He's one of my best friends, and we were just eating it up. Like, I mean, out doing. We would go to the supermarket. We'd be like, "Yo, you can only go to the supermarket once, once a week. You know, once every two weeks. We're gonna get enough food." And like three days later, we're like, "All right, we ate all that. We'll go back. <laughs> Let's start again." I mean, we were just cooking amazing, amazing meals, and then everybody's angry at us. They're like, "Yo, man, we're, you know, we're eating like the last box of macaroni and cheese that we got at like." I'm like, I'm so sorry, guys. I'm eating like. You know, were they angry because you were showing it to them? Oh or? yeah, my Instagram was like, <laughs> <laughs> was like, look at these these lobsters that we just you know we just did like fried Chinese lobster with black bean sauce. It's incredible. Mm. And I was writing this so like the cookbook was a pandemic project where it was like so I was testing out the recipes and writing the recipes for the book. So it was like we were we were we had to cook you know all the whole time. It was really fun. It was a fun time. I mean it was it was a. I don't want to say that. It was a difficult time for a lot of people. And it was very, it was a, I, I ate well. Do you think that people starting out, like if you've really never had any experience cooking, do you think that a culinary school or some sort of a class is the way to go? Or do you think you should just start simply and slow from a book or an online tutorial? I was talking to my buddy, Kyle. Kyle, oh man. So Kyle came down here with me. I was like, yeah, I'm going to Austin. I'm going to be there a day early. I'm going to be eating bar- barbecue. Should come down here and let's 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 have some fun. And he came down. Here. He's got a couple of restaurants up in San Francisco Bay Area. He's he's an amazing chef. And he's a great travel buddy. And um, I was just yesterday. I was like, Yo, man, what? Talk to me about culinary school. Like, what do you think? What's our opinion about that? Like, because I went to culinary school. I dropped out. I didn't make it through. Um, he went to culinary school. If you want to be a chef, I don't think culinary school is necessarily the best route. If you want to be a chef of an independent restaurant, if you want to work as a, uh, if you want to be a home cook, there's a lot to learn quickly from culinary school. I think that's like a, as a as a non-matriculated kind of class by class. There's a great that's a great opportunity. Taking some cooking classes as a home cook, 
you learn a lot. If you want to be a chef, it's a hands-on experience in the, in the restaurant that's going to get you there. But I think there's a lot, there's, if, I think there's definitely a use for taking cooking classes as a home cook. You're not the only one who's told me this. This is that that sentiment has been echoed by a lot of great chefs that I've talked to. Said the same thing. My problem is also though, you know, for a there are a lot of culinary jobs out there, and like you know, think about all the hotels and all the cruise ships and all the corporate cafeterias. There's so many culinary jobs out there, and if that's a goal, if you want to work in one of those jobs, then culinary school can be a great road to give you the 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 needed you know, that can be a great route to get one of those jobs. If you want to have a standalone restaurant, maybe something more avant-garde, maybe something where you're, where you're a little more creative, then culinary school might not get you there. And it, and it can put you at a disadvantage because you get, you know, unless you, like I got, I was very lucky. I got a full scholarship. The James Beard Foundation gave me a full scholarship to go to culinary school. And so it, it worked out for me. But for so many folks, like you go to culinary school, you come out with big debt. And then you can't afford to take a job at a restaurant that's paying minimum wage um, because you need to pay back that loan. Mm. So if you get a job at a restaurant, the restaurant will essentially give you a task. And then if you show effort and show that you have work ethic and show that you're really interested, they'll slowly train you to learn new techniques and cook things. I guess. And and this is this gets into like a whole nother issue that's going on right now with the labor laws and how they've really kind of changed the way that people in restaurants learn how to cook and cooks come up in the business. So I kind of came up at, at in the as the last of the in the, of the of world where the apprentice system was still kind of a, a piece of the puzzle, if that makes sense. So I mm -hmm. went and worked at La Bernadette, super fancy French restaurant. I was like you know, 15 years old, 14 years old. Really? And I, you know, I, his chef was like, I can't pay you, you know, you're not legal to work, but you can come and work for free. So did you always and know that you wanted to be a chef? I, I, I love to cook. Um, and when did you start? I started when I was very young. I had pictures of cooking with my mom. Um, very, very young. And she, she kind of supported me in that. So we, we had, you know, like, making pasta in the kitchen and hanging the noodles off the back of chairs and having, you know, she was very, very supportive of, of my interest. When I was 13 years old, I got a job delivering pizza at the uh, pizzeria across the street. Gino's Pizza, Vincent. <laughs> How'd you deliver them? On a bike? I, I, I walking and I had a harmonica. I would play the harmonica. I thought I was the coolest kid in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was not cool. Meanwhile, my partner, Michael, who I ended up opening a restaurant with, Michael, Michael's, you know, who you, we should talk about him too. This guy's, he's, he's a very cool guy, very inspirational. He was, uh, he was a cool kid. He was delivering on rollerblades, making twice the tips <laughs> quick. <laughs> he's getting around, you know? Um, but delivering pizzas, and then I was working at this Mexican restaurant, San Melitas. I was delivering Mexican food, and I was like, man, these guys in the kitchen are so cool. Like, got tattoos and the fire, and like, everybody says, yes, chef. And, you know, I just, I was really attracted to the kitchen. And um, I, started, I started spending time in the kitchen. And um, I was working at this vegan restaurant. Mike, Mike was delivering, he was, yeah. Uh, so... He was delivering vegan food and other things on his rollerblades. He was like other 14 things. years old. Yeah. He was like selling a weed. green machine. Selling weed. He was like, son of a bitch. You just order, <laughs> you order your like, your, your vegan, vegan seven layer dip and you get a bag of, bag of, 
at the time it was like I don't know it was like the first time that they had uh, chronic they called it chronic mm. it's like fresh and green um, and uh, m- this this I was in love with this this girl she was she was amazing my best friend at the time and her father was the maitre d' of this fancy French restaurant he came in and I was working in the kitchen because whenever I wasn't delivering I was in the kitchen I loved it you know I was like learning everything I could and the chef had just cut herself you know she like just cut herself. And she had to leave, and they were like, "We gotta close the restaurant." And uh, and I was like, "Oh, like there's like two more dishes to go out." And he came in. He was like, "I was the only guy in the kitchen." It was like, "Busy restaurant's full." He's like, 14 year old kid, friend of his daughter's." He's like, "You know, you're you're the chef here," and I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> like absolutely." He's like, "You should come. I work at this, you know, fancy French restaurant. You should meet the chef." And uh, he got me an interview, and I went and worked there. So like. 15, 14 years old, I go and work, go to this fancy French restaurant. I had no idea after school. And the chef meets me and he's like, he's late. He's like, you're lucky because I was taking a haircut. Because otherwise, you would be fired already. I was like, oh my God, I have no idea what's going on. And uh, he's like, but you can come and you can watch. Like, you can't touch anything. You can watch after school on Wednesdays. You come. And on weekends. I started working there and... It was fun, man. It was super cool. What kind of tasks did they have you do initially? The first job was I got to bring the fish from the refrigerator to the guy that was going to cook the fish. Like, I could carry it across the kitchen. <laughs> and then I got to clean calamari. My dad called me the calamari kid. He was like, he had a whole 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 song for me. I was like the, the squid kid. Um, <laughs> I, I remember one time I went in and I was like, the chef was like, you know, the calamari, some of it has gone bad. I need you to smell every piece. And I like, walked in and he's like... I was like, chef, I, was, I smelled every piece of calamari. He's like, I know. Look in the mirror. And I was like, my nose is all black from like the squid. I was like, oh, man. And then, uh, and then he had me clean lobsters. It was the first time I ever cried. You know, you got to like rip these things apart. So barbaric. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I like, start crying. He's like, you can rip them apart or you can be fired. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was fucking crying. And you weren't even making any money. No, I was like 14 years old crying over these lobsters, like apologizing to everyone. Actually, there was a guy, Manuel, he set one free. He took a, he took a lobster. He was like, I'm going to set it. For my... He threw it in the ocean? He put, he put it, I think he put it in the East River. We were a little drunk. <laughs> <laughs> it might have made it. It was brackish. You might have made it to the ocean. Um, and uh, and then and then I got to open oysters. I was the oyster guy for for a long time. And then eventually I made it up to the hot app station, which was like you know it was like a big deal. And but I was a try. I, I had a bad attitude, man. I had a bad attitude. I met this guy Roy Choi. He was he was the he Roy Choi's amazing chef from L.A. He's got incredible. He's got a, he's he's a legend legendary character now, but he's. Um, still, still a dear friend. He he um, he was on the station with me, and he describes it. He's just like this little kid. Like, you know, I came in from culinary school. I just wanted to learn, and this kid was just such an asshole. <laughs> I was just like, "You're an idiot. You have no idea what you're doing. Like, stand there, don't touch anything. Watch, don't talk." That's how you talk to him. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, "How old are you at the time?" Like 15 years oh, old. <laughs> I was just like punched in the face. I got punched in the face a few times. Did you? <laughs> I a few times. I I I, I laugh because you know we I, I wrestle. And um, I don't wrestle. I train. I, I wrestle. And well, you uh, do I do jujitsu. Well, you're a black belt I'm, under Henzo. I have. I, I'm a black belt under Henzo. And um, and I laugh because you know everybody's got like the one story, the one time that recently they got into some fight, and like I've been in like 20 fights and I've never won a fight in my life. I just got beat up every time. Cause really? Because I, I was always a scrawny kid. Oh, back. And in the I day. would always get talk. I would. I would. You know, I haven't been in a fight in like 20 years. Is like, that why you start training? I, I started training because I got to San Francisco, 
and uh, I was scared. And I had a chip on my shoulder. I recognized I really, I was like 20 years old, 21 years old. I was starting to work in kitchens in San Francisco. And I was like, man, like, I'm supposed to be from New York. Like, I'm supposed to be tough. And these guys are like, I'm scared. It's not fair. What um, were you scared of? I, you know, you walking home. I was work, living in the Tenderloin. And, oh. and you know, I was like, I'm going to get mugged. And Tenderloin's rough. Know, it's a rough neighborhood. Have you been there lately? Is it nice? You might you might step in human shit on the way home. <laughs> yeah, well, have you been to my neighborhood? <laughs> stop, stop by my house. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, man, I just needed that. I went to I went to Half Gracie, jujitsu. Oh, that's was, a great place to go. This guy Kurt was like, I was like, you know, I'm scared. I really want some confidence, but I don't want to have to Kurt, do any. Kurt Osiander. Osiander. Yeah. yeah. Crazy character. Oh, he's a wild dude. Amazing character. I learned, I mean, so basically. Does he, is he okay? Didn't he just have some uh, serious health problems? He and I don't, I have not kept up since he and Half had their, had their like little issues. So I'm not really sure what's going on there mm. at all. Um, I follow him on Instagram yeah. and he was hospitalized for something. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. He definitely, he definitely pushes really, really hard in his life. So, you know, yeah, he's not a young man. He pushed really hard. Yeah. He was like, every now and then you're like, there's somebody that you, you vote most like you you least want to get in a fight with that guy <laughs> like kurt would just eat my heart out like it doesn't matter how good you are how much better you are i'm like that guy's gonna beat me up because he's gonna raise the level of violence he's gonna eat my heart i'm scared <laughs> you know and he's gonna have a smile on his face <laughs> he's a scary guy and and an amazing wonderful character <laughs> so i went in there and um he put me together with this girl that had been training for like two years and he was like you know give it a try see what you think and like 30 seconds later i was like twisted over you know yelling uncle and i was like he's like yeah she's been training for two years i was like if i if i'm here for two years am i gonna be that good he's like yeah like if you give it two years and you invest that time you'll be able to feel more confident like you can you know not worry about getting beat up and i did and i really fell in love with it and two years later she's like i mean she I think she subsequently transitioned, but was is like a world champion. So I was never going to be as good as her. He was he was lying to me. She's really great, but uh, what a great experience. Subsequently transitioned. Yeah, I think she's a man now. Oh, um, but she um, really transitioned. Yeah, she transitioned, but but she could kick my ass as a girl, and she could still kick my ass as a as a guy. So either way, she's badass, tough. You meet a lot of those characters in jujitsu, like people that you would uh, see on the street and think nothing of. There's a guy named Jeff Noodles at um at uh, at Hanzo Gracie in, in in New York, and he's like, he's just such a nice guy, and he's not a big man at all, and he would just kill you. He would just kill anybody. You know, There's a lot of those guys out there. It's yeah. interesting. I, I call them nerd assassins. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel a little bit like that guy because I'm definitely not a you know I'm not an intimidating person, right. especially now that I'm like 20 pounds, pizza overweight. And, yeah, you were telling me uh, over the last how long? Six months. Six months. Twenty <laughs> yeah. since you opened up the pizza place. I went from 182 to maybe I'm a little less than that. I went from 182 to like I'm like 197 now, so 15. That's pounds. what I'm saying about pizza, man. That's why yeah. I don't fuck with bread anymore. Well, I mean, I'm like seven days a week on pizza. <laughs> That's <laughs> crazy. Not a casual. Yeah, you gotta yeah. abstain. Pizza is like, a once a week thing. I think it's a delicious. It's fantastic. I mean, if you if you could do it every day, but do you know who uh, Mikey Musumeci is? No, I want to know. He's a world class jujitsu practitioner who eats only pizza, and he makes his own pizza. Is he? He's not the he's because there's a pizza jujitsu guy from New York. 
There's a guy whose Instagram is Pizza Jiu Jitsu. Pizza no, Jiu-Jitsu. no, this is a different kid. He's uh, he's a very young guy and he lives in Vegas, and he's top of the food chain. Gi and no gi, he's phenomenal. That's Mikey. Wow, he's he's the perfect yeah. But nerd how old assassin. is that guy, man? He's very young. Um, I want to say Mikey's in his very early twenties. You can eat you, pizza every day in your early twenties. If you go to his uh, Instagram or it might be on his YouTube, see if you can find the pizza. You go, oh, there he goes. A lot of pasta too. That's him making pasta, but he's uh, either eating pizza or pasta. Oh, this is him at an Italian restaurant, and he's pouring olive oil all over his uh, pasta. But if you go to his um, his uh, YouTube, you can see he actually makes his own pizza. He's got a pizza oven, and he eats once a day. So he trains like literally 10 hours a day plus i mean he's fucking driven and he trains seven days a week he's an animal and uh he will eat one meal a day after he's training he'll eat like a couple massive pizzas wasn't yeah. that like colin powell's thing cooking with like... mikey so give me some volume on this this so meal this... is about seven thousand calories so i work really hard all day so i could eat what i want at night so he had problems with I his weight make- weight cutting for you know tournaments and the such yeah and so he tried a bunch so of different diets and one of the things that he look at this is all he's got a giant fridge filled with pizza food yeah he's got good he's got good ingredients oh yeah yeah, yeah. oh phenomenal ingredients you could tell but he knows what he's doing I mean, he's making amazing pizza so he does the whole deal himself And like this is like sort of a part of his thing. It's like it's not just that he eats pizza, but he actually makes it. So every day he trains really, really hard. He's a world-class competitor. And then he makes pizza at night, and that's what he eats. I've done so many diets, you know, and the secret to dieting is actually not dieting. Just eating what you want, and you're satisfied. How old is he? 23? Yeah, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. The secret to dieting is not dieting. Just eat pizza and work out like eight hours a day. Yeah, the secret to dieting when you work 12 hours a fucking day strangling people. And that's his sister, Tammy, and she's also a world-class jiu-jitsu. This guy's hysterical. Yeah, so he's got a little pizza oven in his backyard. These these ovens are super popular now, like all these little little gas drives. Yeah, cool, man. They get hot and they work. Charcoal? Yeah. There are people in LA that are like setting up like taco stands with those and making it on the street. And really? Doing, yeah, it's cool. Oh, man. no kidding. Yeah. Um. Again, this is like, is that as good as um, a wood fired one? Like, does it impart the same flavor, or is it okay enough? I think you know. I don't. Well, look. I'm in New York. I make New York style pizza right now, so it's not wood fired traditionally. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think you can make really great, great, great pizza in there, but it's not going to have that smoky flavor at all, right? But like, right. But is the smoky flavor necessary, or is it just different? I think that it's just different, for sure. As not opposed necessary. to like steak. Well, like the thing about pizza, because if you follow how pizza, you know, I'm and again, like I'm not, I, want, I don't want to speak out of turn because I'm not like an expert expert on this, but I, I'm, you own a fucking pizza. I own a pizza restaurant. I've been studying it, it for a couple of years. Like so, basically, you know, the Italians came through, came to America through New York, and so that's where the first kind of pizza came on the scene. But then, as the kind of like like the Italian diaspora starts to spread across the country, you see different ingredients being incorporated in different towns, and then the pizza starts to change based on the the local 
fla- you know, preferences. So it's like, I'm, I got a pizzeria, I'm opening up over here. These are the, this is the type of cheese they've got here, so that's what I'm using. And, or maybe this is the type of cheese people like to eat, so that's what I'm... And so they get really specific and you start to see like, okay, well, this is now traditional Neapolitan pizza, New York style pizza, you know, Chicago style pizza, um, Detroit style pizza. Those are, they, they, they're these kind of defined terms because those are the, that, that's the pizza that's developed in that area. And so now people say, well, we can just, we can mix it up. Like we can do a New York style pizza, but we're going to do it in a wood fired oven and, and we can... And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It could be really, really delicious. So when you say like, is it better or should it have the wood? It's like, well, if you're going to make a Neapolitan style pizza, you should do it with, in a wood fired oven. Cause that's what was traditionally done. Um, and yeah, it's really delicious. That doesn't mean you can't take that same dough and bake it in a non wood fired oven and also have a delicious pizza. Mm. It just, it's a different and it's not necessarily then authentic to what it was supposed to be. It's interesting how different regions of countries have very specific ways of doing things like bistecca florentine. So good. Oh my God. So I mean, great. it's just a steak. Yeah. It's a large porterhouse steak, but they figured out the way they like to do it over, I think they mostly use olive for the wood, right? Isn't the hardwood they generally do you, use? Does the wood... So I don't know what exactly. Sorry, I didn't mean, I was. No, I, I, I was me being like, I have no idea. So I'm just gonna ask you a quick question. <laughs> that was the other thing Tiller said. He was like, just ask him a question. <laughs> um, does the wood, does the flavor of the wood? Like I'm always interested in this, and I I do this at home all the time. Like I get, I've got orange wood, I've got almond, I've got oak, and I've really been trying to tell. Like, can I taste the difference between the smoke from one of these woods versus the other? Some of them, like mesquite, has a really distinct yeah, flavor. Yeah, so I was going to say that. Mesquite does. You know, or alderwood mm-hmm. has a really distinct... But a lot of these woods, like, I think it's just that that happened. Like, in Italy, by the olive vines, they had olive vines, so that's what they used. Maybe, yeah. You know, like yeah. almond wood in California is super traditional because, you know, the almond farms have to... Uh, have to um, change over their trees every however many years and they sell off the wood, right? So I feel like, or post oak in Texas is like, you got post oak. Yeah, there's a lot of oak here. and But the guys at uh, Terry Black's that I talked to about it, they generally prefer post oak because they say it's got a nice clean smoke. They like the, the flavor it imparts. It's not overwhelming, I think was their way of describing it. And it also burns really long and yeah. slow. So like bang for the buck money wise, mm-hmm. oak burns. Like when I cook with almond wood, it takes twice as much almond over oak. And orange wood is super quick. Mm. Um, and that for like the, trying to maintain a steady temperature over a long period of time, I would imagine something like post oak, because that's why Terry Blacks probably uses it. They have these enormous smokers that they have to maintain, you know, at a steady 250 for, you know, 12. 24 hours a day they're, mm-hmm. they're cooking. Yeah. Yeah. Other than cleaning them out, they're like, yeah, just rolling. I mean, he showed me the wood. He's got there. He's like, you know, this is a week's worth of wood. And you're like, holy shit, that's crazy. It's so crazy. much wood. Yeah. yeah, I mean, thank God there's plenty of trees yeah. out here. So maybe there's a financial reason that you know the oak burns longer. You get more bang for your buck on it's the flavor. Awesome. The flavor. I mean, it does work. It's pretty phenomenal. I don't know what uh, Franklin uses or what Salt Lick uses or some of these other places, but I mean, the cost of wood has gone up. I mean, it's in in L.A. It's like you know. People would shit their pants. It's like a quarter, quarter wood is like five hundred dollars. You know, really? It's just so much money. Wow. Um, and there's all kinds. Of, you know, the government is really 
you know, there's the pollution thing is, is a thing for them. So they're like, we want to cut down on people using wood. So there's all kinds of incentives. Like as a restaurant, you can't get wood. I think you can't, they're like going to make everybody have electric in their houses when, in, pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. they're stopping yeah. fireplaces yeah. because apparently that's a big issue in terms of like pollution, particulate pollution and yeah. what, what smoke from a fireplace does, which really sucks because it's the best smell. When you go into a house and the fireplace is cooking and it's warm out, like if you're in Colorado and you got a fireplace and it's January, that's amazing. You get inside the house, you smell the fireplace, and it's, it's cool. You smell it outside when you're getting close to the house. I think the thing that's, you know, you just run into this all the time now because everybody's so, like, staunch in their politics and everybody's got their opinions, but it's like, you know, I'm in L.A. I'm like, I don't give a shit about the fireplace. It's like a thousand degrees all year long. Like, no problem. Right. And then, but, you know, people in Colorado are like, yo, man, the fireplace is really a piece of our, you know, whatever it is. History. So depending upon where you're from, obviously you care more or less, but there's nothing I like more than the smell of a fireplace. I think the thing is it's fine if you live in a small town and you're not really contributing that much. But if you live in a large city, you have a few million people in your city and a few hundred thousand of them are burning fires at the same time, you might have a problem. And maybe if you're a firefighter, you're like, these jackasses are just like burning yeah. their houses down. Like, you know. Yeah, there's definitely that. And then trying in, to work on this calendar and this guy's just like In LA there's an issue with barbecues too. Like there's bar there's warnings, like sometimes when there's high wind, like the Santa Ana's and it's dry out. They're worried about embers flying from someone's barbecue and starting a fire. Which lands on your roof, and that happens. Fucking happens, yeah. yeah it's also happens. like you know, I came to Austin. I'm like, this whole town smells like just grilling meat. Like you can't. <laughs> it just, it really does. Like yeah. as soon as you get out of the plane, you're like, wow, I can smell the barbecue. Well, there's a salt yeah. lick at the airport. It was good. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> you go right <laughs> away. Yeah, <it> <laughs> um, and uh, so in LA, you're like, I mean, I am that annoying neighbor that makes my whole block smell like like wood fire and I love it when someone else is doing it but I can understand how if you're like you know if that's not your favorite f flavor I don't think it, the problem is the smell I think the real problem is the pollution I mean people are worried about what it, it's actually doing to air quality well there was that's the like whatever for whatever you want to say about long-term environmental impact of, of there's a real air quality issue that exists like no matter what no no question about it like you're in LA your lungs start aching downtown I mean it's like it's like yeah. you can't even see the mountains through the haze, and then it'll rain. You're like, holy shit, there's mountains out there. It's crazy. <laughs> like, it's dirty. Are you and, living in downtown? Uh, no, I live in Venice. I live oh. by the beach. Oh, that's, okay. that's a, a little beautiful, better quality, except a, for the bullets. I've got a great tent right by the ocean. Nice. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Hey, um, Jamie, I emailed you uh, his uh, grills, all the stuff that he's created. Did you get a hold of that? Yeah. Um, so this project of you making grills – there we go. Oh, look at those eggplants. Look nice. at that thing. So th th these, this is the steel. So like, mm -hmm. oh man, I'm so You made this, this all yourself? Dude, this was, it was three weeks with a welder and wow. I was so obsessed. It was so fun, man. I got that God, God bless, bless cowgirls. Cow <laughs> What's yeah. the hammers for? Well, I wanted to do axe handles and I went to Home Depot and the axes were like $25. So I was oh, like, that's your handles. The, 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 the hammers were like four bucks. So I was like, I'll go with that. <laughs> I'll, go with that. I'll upgrade to the axes later. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So this is a, an interesting setup. What is yeah. this? this? Is like an outdoor, like so, raised and lowered grilling space. So basically, you know, I didn't have the, I didn't go with the traditional, you can raise the grills up and down on a, on a wire with a, mm -hmm. with a, with a turn knob. I decided to do, um, and there, and I, and I was inspired by this restaurant, this restaurant called Echabari in, in Northern Spain, which is like, 
probably one of the most you know famous grill restaurants in the world. And they do their grills like this where you can pick them up and put them down. So the pieces from the from the inside of the grill can come out and they can they they can't leave her off of any height there and you can stick them in. So you can raise or lower your grills like that. Mm. Um and then you can also I liked it because you see that basket with the peppers in it there? Mm. Like I built that out of stainless steel and the idea is I built all those grills out of stainless steel so you can kind of like put different pieces of equipment in. So you built all those grates, you wired right. wired all those rods, welded all those rods down and everything? If you were to look closely, you'd see that they're they're very, very jagged. And if you were to also uh, try and cook anything on there, you'd notice that they're too far apart. Stuff's falling through. So they, I definitely built them myself. <laughs> I made the mistakes, you know. Um, right. It gives you such a great respect for the people that do this, man. It's mm. just, it's so That's cool. a beautiful piece of equipment, though. I, I think that looks amazing. Thank you. And so you're, was it, was this a video? Oh, oh it's yeah. just, the, oh, God bless, oh, it's your opening oh, up. Yeah. So like, oh, so that's oh, what I'm talking firebox. about. You, that's not the firebox. So the firebox is down below, but that's me grilling. Like there, you can see that's the picture. You got the, the fire underneath, inside right. the oven space, and you can kind of close it down. Right, so you, you, know? you explain that. So you're yeah. not really doing an offset. You're, yeah. you're smoking like almost like a Kamado style. So you, and you could do either way, or you can put the fire in the firebox down below. It holds a really consistent 275. Oh, so you do have a firebox yeah. on top of that. Go back yeah. to the uh, early, yeah. oh, so below that, yeah. that bottom thing opens up, and that's a firebox. Exactly. Uh, Oh, so that's great. So you have many options. So you can either put the fire up top or down below. And I like that because I've got these stones that slide in there. So mm-hmm. you can bake bread on multiple levels. Oh. You can grill at multiple levels. You, know, you can put five, uh, two, four, six briskets in there. Do you ever do a pizza on and that smoke thing? Them. Or, yeah, and you can do pizza on the, on the on stone. On the flat rock? Or you can put the, put the fire at the back and get like that Neapolitan 900 degrees. Oh, look at these, look at these shrimp. shrimps. Nice. Shrimp are just, you know. It's, it's got to be very satisfying also to cook on something that you literally created with your own hands. The only problem with this grill is that I've had like 30 people in my house and I've never used more than 10% of the capacity. <laughs> I mean, oh, on huge. paper, it looks so small. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's so huge. Big. What is your grilling surface? Like, what's the I distance? Mean, it's, I mean, it's literally, you could put a whole pig on, on the right side and six briskets. It's huge. Oh, it's wow. Four foot, it's a four-foot grill. So that part over there. Oh, yeah. Do you, have you ever done a pig over it, like a rotisserie style? I've never. I've got a rotisserie for it, and I've never, um, my, my sister-in-law bought me a rotisserie for it. I've wow. never actually done a whole pig on there. I that, should do that. looks amazing. That's got to be so cool, though, to go out in your backyard and see this thing that you made yourself that you can cook on. It makes me so proud and happy, and I also feel like such a psycho because it's so big. <laughs> and it's like, you know, when like, well, eventually, what am I going to do when I go to sell this house? I'm gonna be like, I'm going to get a crane? Like, that's no, coming with it. It comes with the house. It comes with the house. Yeah, sell it and build a new one or give up. <laughs> or just like go down to Venice Beach and be like, here's twenty dollars, and you can take all the scrap metal you can have and give them twenty four hours. Oh, you did. The, you would pay a thousand to not deal with those oh, people. Yeah. I think what you should do is sell it with the house or n- never move. Chef's kitchen. You rent yeah. it out. Chef's kitchen is a Chef's big kitchen commodity and a a massive homemade smoker slash grill with multiple cooking surfaces outside. I mean, that alone would get people excited about like a guy who likes grilling oh, yeah. who's looking at your house like holy that would be a giant selling point it's a buck of, a buck of pieces wood these days that's what it really comes down to so every time i cook any steak i'm like it's going to cost $11. Right. It cost me $11 worth of wood. Yeah. And so when you cook steaks, are you cooking steaks? Uh, so you're doing it in the top box. You're putting the fire above it. 
So mo- most of the time, if I'm cooking a thin steak, like a steak that's, you know, regular inch thick steak, I'm cooking, I'm creating a fire. And this was what I was talking about with that Grillworks grill, which I think are phenomenal grills. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the if you look at the base of my of my grill space, not the barbecue space, but the grill space, it's lined with fire bricks and it's got a round. And what I like to do is get a big fire going that heat up those bricks and get a lot of of heat in there that'll that even if I were to turn the fire off, I could cook the steak on there because mm. the heat is going to continue to that keeps the consistency because uh, you know like if you cook in a classic Weber grill, it's it's a really gratifying experience. They're amazing grills, but it can be challenging because you're either on the ups, upswing or on the downswing. Like, right. It's either getting hotter and hotter and hotter or it's getting colder and colder and colder. So you're like, I got to stage it perfectly. I got to get the steak on at the right moment, my vegetables on at the right moment, or, or I got to put more charcoal on, which can be tricky. You know, Weber has a, a steel Kamado now. And those are phenomenal. Yeah, like, it's they insulated. Their... They have, uh, it's very nice. The, and they do it. What's nice about the way Weber built theirs is it's very portable because it's not that heavy. Really? I yeah, dropped a big still... green egg once. Oh, Jesus. You know what happened? Did it destroy? Oh, yeah. It's just Broke apart? It's yeah. Curtains. I had a Kamado. A Komodo Komodo. Have you ever seen one those of those? Those are amazing. Komodo yeah. Joe? The, yeah. The phenomenal well, what, Not Komodo Joe. It's a company called Komodo Komodo, and they make these beautiful like artistic artisan Komodos. It was fucking huge. This huge blue thing they gave in my it backyard. To you. No, I bought it. You bought it? Yeah, and you had to lift it up. Oh, it took forever to order it. I, I designed it. You know, like you get to pick the color of the tile and the whole deal, and you have to season it and break it in because it's like the real deal. It's like that's what it looks like. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. that's gorgeous. gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. Yeah, I mean it was. It's a huge Komodo. <laughs> Us, everyone, yeah. just on size, and it's got the feet. Looks like a penguin. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's beautiful. And then you know they have a, a gas attachment if you want to you know start the grill with gas. But I never use that. But look how pretty that is. Gorgeous grill. They make the best looking grills. I how mean, much is that grill though? It's very expensive. It's like it's four thousand bucks. I don't more. remember. Maybe more. I don't remember. I, I Again, I left it in my old house. I said, you can have it. My buddy Kyle that I was talking about from Oakland, he's got that Komodo Joe. Those are also. And then I, and then I got a, they gave me a big green egg. They, and then I broke it. I dropped it. And then they gave me another one. I was like, God, I'm so sorry. Because like, I was like a chef. They were like, you know, you'll take pictures with it. Yes. Early on in the days, they were like, you'll take pictures. You'll help sponsor. I was like, well, I'm going to take a picture. It's not going to sell it, dude. Yeah, big green eggs are great. Phenomenal Komodo girls. Joe's, those are great too. Komodo Joe's is very well designed because they have uh, the way they use the upper you know the baffle when it changes the temperature and adjust things they've got a, a bunch of like very smart like, also sort the of way it opens and closes mm-hmm. is a little easier yeah they got springs um, on the lid and everything like that it's very very they took like the existing Kamados and they made them better I feel like you know again like you've got traditional barbecue and then you've got like grilling mm-hmm. two completely different things although often conflated people mm-hmm. don't want you know and then these are kind of these hybrid like you know barbecue ovens which you can grill on and it's confusing for people how i'm supposed to use this stuff yeah there's you know? luckily there's plenty of uh tutorials online on how to smoke on a kamado or how to grill on a kamado but you know the thing about the ceramic for most of them, it's the ceramic is what's retaining heat. But like I said, Weber makes one that's way easy to move around. And it's, uh, I think they call it the Summit. And uh, it's just a thick insulated steel, but, you know, it's like a fraction of the weight. And there's another company that makes one that's aluminum. 
they make an aluminum insulated uh, Kamado that's supposed to be it's supposed to be the same thing. It's all about insulating. Yeah. yeah. Although I mean I feel like there's two pieces because one of them is insulating um, so that so that your 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 meat so that the the coals last longer. You're not wasting the energy. But then the other thing is that the actual the thing heats up and it holds the heat so mm-hmm. that it radiates its own heat. Yeah. And then that keeps it consistent. Like when you open and close the lid, does it lose all the heat? And if the if the stone is hot, it'll just immediately pick back up. Right. Um, right. That's the benefit of the ceramic. Of right? the of the thicker ceramic grills. Yeah. You know. That's why they're so fucking heavy. And they're you know they're huge. It's 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 expensive. They can break. You've got to. Yeah. They're a pain in the butt to you know if you want to move the thing, it's a nightmare. But they're great. So what I'm doing with the Grillworks one is I'm having a whole thing built. So it's going to have stone underneath it and then in all around it, mm-hmm. and then it's all bricks and everything. So the entire thing will be set up specifically for that Grillworks grill. I, I love that. I love that. I, I just got I got cautioned by a guy basically who was like, you know, just make sure that you 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 have the stones in there. To retain the heat, mm-hmm. otherwise it can be very, it can be more challenging to maintain a consistent fire just from the fire in the coals. Yeah, the one I have has yeah. stones in it. It does, huh? Yeah, they're phenomenal grills. I mean, they're the, and every all the restaurants that's what they use because they look beautiful, mm-hmm. and, and they're and they, they're like crazy grill dorks who just make the you know exactly you know, yeah. every best chef uses it and then they take the feedback and they just make it better and better and better. Well, when I went to that place, Bizarre Meats, have you been to that oh, place? Yeah. Very yeah. cool guy. Incredible. That guy have you had him on the? Uh, no, Jose. How do you spell Jose Andres? Andres? He, yeah. You know he's he's a, also like a very special man who like feeds the world. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, yeah, and he's an incredible storyteller. Oh, uh, really? I, he takes his shoes off and like and like paces and tells you a story and you're like sh- just enthralled. He's incredible. <laughs> He's got a big beer belly family. He's an amazing cook. All right. Yeah. Well, his restaurant's incredible. That Bizarre Meats place is amazing. But one of the beautiful things about it is you go there and you can see they have it like as a centerpiece, these grills where you can watch them cook on it. So as you walk in, you're taking the smell in of all the burning wood and the meat, and it's all being done like right in front of your face so you can see it. See if you can find any images. There's videos of uh, Bizarre Meats in Vegas. Where you could see them cooking on it as you walk in, but it's my my wow. favorite place to eat in Vegas. I um look at that. God damn, that wow. looks good. See if you can find like there's there's got to be some video of it. I went to a party that he was uh, that he had at, at the Aspen Food and Wine Festival, and when you walked in, he he was standing there with a whole leg of Iberico ham, mm. and he was making Iberico ham and caviar tacos and giving them out. There he is. So he's got. Does he have a place at the? It says the SLS Hotel in Beverly he, that, Hills. As I think well? bizarre. That was bizarre foods. It was kind of like his very avant-garde restaurant. I'm not sure if that's still there. Jamie, go back to the. No, no. Go back to where you were. Go back to where you were, and then pick up. Go back. Go no. Go back and go to the top video. That one right there. That one shows the actual restaurant. So. Yeah, that's. He had one of those legs, and he was just making like. Putting caviar. Look at so that. there you grill. can see how the grill yeah. works. That's a grill works grill. Yeah, Fanta- exactly. phenomenal grills. Yeah, yeah. And it's just uh, it's it's also like the experience of being there is, you know, it's uh, it's exciting. My brother's building a house, and we've been talking about what grill to put in. 
you know, we're like designing this outdoor kitchen. It's so hard because you want to put, you want to get fit everything. You want to get it right. Yeah, you want to put, and he's got a big pizza oven, mm-hmm. and you want to be able to do all the different stuff, right? Right. And he's a big entertainer. He loves having people over. He's like a Hollywood guy. His, his, his house, and I'm going to cook there. So yeah. it's a whole thing. So he's setting it up. He's setting it up. He's like, if I got to make it nice, so my brother brother will come over and then, you know. <laughs> nice. I'm a, I'm a big party favor. Yeah. Well, that do you uh, enjoy doing that, like cooking not just at work, but also like uh, for like home gatherings and stuff like that? Um, that was so my so when I so my partner my, uh, Matt Rodbard and I, that was like a big piece of the puzzle that that for writing this cookbook was like, I love cooking at home, and there are not a lot of chefs that love to cook at home. Like home cooks and chefs is a very different job. Um, I like the organizational kind of piece of running a team and inspiring and teaching and all that stuff, but I really love to cook hands-on. And when you open and own a restaurant, you don't get to do it as much as as maybe people would think. Like You're, you're mostly telling people what to do? Uh, honestly, you're like plunging the toilet, man. You're doing anything you can to keep the thing afloat because it's a tough business and you're, and you're hustling. And so you're doing whatever you have to do and not always um, really spending the time. I mean, obviously there are chefs that are maybe better organized that, that can just put their power. Like now I've done it for a while. So like I'm really in the kitchen stretching pizza dough all day long and it's awesome. But um, uh, cooking at home is a, is a different, there's a different level of pressure, right? And you you can really experiment and have fun with the food. So I love doing that. And cooking the dinners at my brother's house. Friends would come over. You know, we still do every Sunday. We do a Sunday supper. Everybody comes over and, you know, some days it's like we're rushing home from the beach in the summer and we're just making whatever we can. But other days it's like we go to the farmer's market in the morning. We make it a whole day affair. It's the best. Mm. You know, and the kids are running around and they want to help. It's great. You know, There's a thing about like preparing for a meal and like looking forward to it over the course of the day and getting ready and getting everything set up. It's why Americans love Thanksgiving. Like we all get together. It's like the one yeah. time. There's like it's the only religion, no, religion-free holiday. We all like get it's together true, right? and just cook. You know, the only people, the turkeys didn't didn't they don't they don't do as well. They don't. But I'm not a big fan of turkeys. Here's the thing. So I went to La, so let me just call this out. Right, I went to the barbecue yesterday. I had the turkey and it. I mean, I shit my pants. It was so unbelievably delicious. I've never had turkey like this before. Really? I've cooked the turkey different every single year. Uh, you know, I've gotten like, really, I'm really screwed up a couple of years. I made some spectacular, the turkey at La Barbecue is, I don't know how they do it. I was like, how do these guys do it? It's so moist and tender and delicious. You should try it. You'll, you, I think you'll be shocked. Well, I've had the turkey yeah. at Terry Black's. It's really good. And I've had turkey myself that I cooked on a Traeger and I really yeah. liked it. It was very good. That's I, the first time I'd ever smoked uh, a turkey and using a pellet Was it grill. tender? Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. It was delicious. And it, I did it with the, the super smoke setting. Traeger has a super smoke setting, so it like accentuates the smoke in the, the, fire, uh, in the, um, the cooking surface, in the cooking area. And so it was very smoky and delicious. I feel like those grills are so good. They like really, really work, but oh, I'm not yeah. allowed to use them. You know, I'm like a chef, so I'm like, man, I can't do, I can't cheat. Like, because it's, it's cheating. It's cheating. Well, I love cooking on them because, like, I'll use those oftentimes, like, for the reverse sear steaks because I'll set it at 225. I'll set the super smoke. I put a thermometer in there. I got a Traeger app, so it tells me, like, what temperature my meat is. I could be watching TV, and it's like, okay, we're at 110, time to Perfect. pull. Perfect. 
Yeah. I'll pull it at 110 and then I'll sear it. The only thing that they don't have that I really wish they would do is make a direct fire option so that you could sear in the same thing. Like there's a company called uh, Lone Star Grills and they make phenomenal offset smokers, but they also make a really good pellet grill. But it has a, a setting where you um, you move this uh, great aside this plate oh, and it in the bottom the fire. And it exposes the fire and then you crank it up with the uh the lid open mm. and then it has direct flame so then you know you're cooking literally right over the fire and it's still just wood and fire because you're using these pellets the pellets are essentially compressed sawdust from hardwood and so uh, that option, I wish Traeger would uh, would, inst- would figure out how, figure to, do out how to do that because Lone Star Grill has it, and they, I mean, they make amazing uh, just traditional offset smokers too. I um I feel like people don't understand. It's one of the most confusing things for people to understand the difference between like barbecue and grilling, mm. and then you know, and and when and where and how and why to apply. Um, uh, the technique to which type of meat, right? Because, you know, if you were to like barbecue a ribeye, you would really ruin Christmas. It would just be like yeah. a big old waste of, you know. But if you were to grill like a like a, a brisket, it would You'd be a nightmare. It would be like yes. chewy garbage. Yes. And so like, how do I know? And the answer is, you know, it's pretty, as a chef, like this is where the like food IQ questions come into mind. It's like, well, as a chef, it's really, really straightforward and easy. Like, the more an animal uses a muscle, the tougher it gets, you know, the more, the more sinewy, te- you know, tough stuff is in there, the longer and slower I have to cook it to break it down. And like the leaner and the, the, the less used a muscle, like the more tender and the faster I cook it and the more I can, I can eat it r- rare. And it's like, that's just basic and makes sense. And then grilling is for quick cooking or, or fat, you know, quicker cooking and barbecuing is for longer and slower. Plus... Because it's in a closed box, it's moist, so it's it's like kind of br- almost like dry braising the meat, mm. and it breaks it down. So like, I feel like that is where people, because I often see people being like, oh, I like, you know, I threw this flank steak in my Traeger. I'm like, oh, fuck that up. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> right yeah, there. it's it's a it's just that flank steak is a good example, right? Because it's a thin cut, and you you really want to just sort of sear it quick on the outside. Like I said, like they all have their different things that work well with them. You know, I really like Traeger's and any kind of pellet grill for game meat because it's so lean and you just really want to just sort of get it up to temperature. And then I generally sear it on a cast iron skillet. So that reverse cooking technique that you're talking about, you know, is it's a very it's very safe. Right, because I want—I don't want to. This is where. So when when I think, when I think about the temperature at the inside of the meat, like I want to cook a piece of beef to 125 degrees, let's say, or like 120 degrees. I want it the final temperature inside to be rare, medium rare. Mm-hmm. If I cook it at 400 degrees, by the time that it gets to 125 and the very middle, and it's right, like it's going to be really overcooked on the outside. It's going to be challenging, and that and and whereas if I cook it at 130 degrees, really, really slow, maybe at 270 degrees, very, very slowly, and let it come up to temperature, it's going to be perfectly cooked all the way through. Yeah. And then I sear the outside. So for something like either very, very lean um, uh, uh, game meats 
or like we were saying for a ri- thick piece of ribeye where I really want that fat on the inside to have a chance to liquefy. I think it was like who's that? What's his name? Franklin that was here. The yeah, Philip. Philip Franklin. Philip. He was talking about yeah. like you know cooking this this like wagyu steak slowly up high on the grill. Mm-hmm. And the the fat starts to liquefy. It's like he's doing the reverse sear on yeah. that meat, um, even though he he didn't admit it. He was reverse searing. It. He's, he's, he was like, he's, I don't reverse sear, but I do this thing very similar that is exactly <laughs> the same thing. Well, in bizarre meats, they have like the upper deck where yeah. it's really only like ninety degrees. It's just like slowly. Yeah, it's just slowly and taking in all the smoke, and they get it up to I, I forget what their internal temperature is, and then they drop it down and put it over the flames. So that was like when we're writing this cookbook. I'm like, okay, well. This is an opportunity to really test stuff out. So like, mm. one of the fun ones is I always have steak in the freezer. I always have steaks in the freezer. I got this guy. Do you know, did we talk uh, Heritage Foods USA or no? I've heard of them. Yeah. So like this guy, this guy, Patrick Martins, he's, it's a phenomenal story. He's like basically took heritage breeds that are, that are, would be extinct otherwise. And he's out there meeting farmers and convincing them to, to grow these animals for him. And then he's buying them and distributing them to chefs. Now, now you can go online and you can get them directly to you. But like, you go online, you, you get the steak, and it's got a little little QR code, and you can like visit the farm. And I've been with him. I've been I bought bought all. We, we had a, I have a restaurant called the Meatball Shop back in New York. Visited all the farms, and we got all of our pork from these guys. And so I've been to all these farms, like Amish farms, where they're growing these incredible, like you know, close to extinct species of animals, like keeping them alive on the planet. And um, I just like completely lost track. Did we, was it the CBD? It was the CBD. There's no CBD. <laughs> it was the CBD in my, my, <laughs> in my booze. <laughs> you, were, you were talking about uh, heritage breed animals and slow cooking and oh man, heritage I, farms. I've completely lost track of myself. Really? Yeah. But okay. Well, heritage breed food, you know, heritage breed pork. There's a company called Butcher Box. They sell heritage breed pork. That's one of the things that they have. I've, I, there, there are so many different breeds out there and they all have their own specific qualities mm-hmm. and for, for different reasons. And like, makes sense that if you lived in, you know, the lamb from whatever island in, 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 in Scotland, you know, was bred for the fur and then the meat might've been a little bit tougher, but then, you know, if you cook it in this way, it's delicious and it all works together. But then if you take that lamb and you try and cook it in a different way, maybe it's not as Right, as great, if you don't know so. what you're doing. It's kind of like, oh, so during the, the pandemic, writing this cookbook, I had a chance to cook, you know, a lot, really scientifically, like say, I'm going to cook f- different types of meat, different ways and really try and get, is this working? And I always have steak from, from Patrick in my freezer. And I think they're the best steaks in the world. Like I think, really think like best steak in the world. And, really? Um, that's strong words. He's got this akiyoshi beef that's just unbelievable. What it's is like the a, word? Akiyoshi. It's like a Japanese. It's a. It's the Japanese um, breed of cattle that they make um, wagyu beef out of, or whatever it is, Miyazaki, like you know, beef out of. But it's been bred with Angus in their few few guys. I think here in Texas that that are that are that are selling these cattle. They've got super high fat, but they're tender like Angus. They're unbelievably delicious. Mm. And I always have these steaks in my freezer. And I would come home from jujitsu. I'm like ravenously hungry. You know, I just like had a 23 year old guy try and beat the shit out of me, and I had to <laughs> defend my black belt, which is you know, like you know what that's like. Yeah. You get a little older, and you go like, like, dude, this guy's 23 years old. He's a purple belt, and he knows that if he taps me in front of the ins- instructor, he's gonna get his brown belt. So he's just like coming at me, and I'm like, right. dude, I'm like, you know, I've just ate like pizza for three months, homie. <laughs> and I'm so hungry. 
And keeps I, you honest, though. <laughs> it does. You gotta gotta defend it. You know, every now and then I'm like, I'm like, the problem is that I'm gonna beat you, and then my arm's gonna hurt for a week. Right. And you're not gonna remember, but I'm gonna re- <laughs> I'm gonna remember. Yeah. Um, those are the, those are the times. But the I took I would take the steak right out of the freezer and throw it right in the broiler, and I was like, holy shit! You could take a you could take a steak, r- try it. Take a, like, take a New York steak, frozen. Throw it in the broiler like four minutes each side, and you're, and it comes out perfect. Really, it's delicious. I've, I've heard people say that before. You know that uh, they like many people say that you should bring a steak to room temperature, but I've heard many other people say no. You should actually put it on cold. That way, the middle of it will cook slower. I think for a thinner steak, it's soup. It's very helpful, right? Because mm. if you want to keep a rare, like we, I don't know, I used to go to when Moon's over in Miami. What is that place? Denny's? Denny's. Yeah. And they have that real thin steak, and I was always like, like medium rare. <laughs> never, right. never worked out. But if they had frozen it first, maybe it probably came from the freezer. You just ask for rare. Rare. Go rare. You got to go rare yeah, go at rare, Denny's. Go home. It's just so small. Moon's Over Miami is such a great name. It is a great name. Yeah. Yeah. Eggs. But this, you, you, if you freeze the steak when it's real thin, you have a better chance of keeping it rare in the center. Mm. Wasn't that like what steakums are? Aren't, don't they, aren't they like frozen? You slap yeah. it right on a grill? Right on the grill. I used yeah. that for my uh, for I did some Philly cheesesteaks the other day with those. Mm. La, Philly cheesesteak is, I mean, it's amazing that they nailed it. Like again, that's a, like a regional dish that you think a steak sandwich is universal, but nope. Yeah. They should write about that in the Bible. It's just God's <laughs> food right there. It's it's the best. You know that'll 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 change a man. It's so delicious. Yes, a fil- a great Philly cheesesteak is like, and it's there's such good people in Philly, man. Philly's such a great town. It's a great town. They're just working. They're like, yo, this is $6. The sandwich is 6 We were going to, so I had this restaurant called The Meatball Shop, and we were like, you know, we're, we were talking about what, we're expanding to a different city because we got a bunch in New York. And uh, I went to Philly, and I was like, shit, man, we can't come here. They got, they got like the best sandwiches in the world, and they're $5, and they're all over. We're just going to get crushed. <laughs> we're going to be like, yo, take this $13 meatball sandwich. They were like, nope, no chance. No chance. Yeah, they've got the market cornered with authenticity. They're so good there. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, Philly is a great place for boxing. It's a great place for comedy. It's a great place for hip-hop. I mean, it's like there's so much great shit that's come out of Philly. It's just- Real those, people problems. Yeah, real pro- well, real people. That's real the thing. People. When you have cities, there's like good and bad of cities, right? But one of the good things is that pressure creates diamonds, like this- all those human beings together. There's something I felt it. I was in Texas last year. I do. I go. I do big like, kind of like adventure backcountry heli skiing trip every year. I was in Alaska and I was like, these people are really, like, they're not the. I wouldn't necessarily say that that I want to be best friends with every person I've met on the street here, but I know that if I was in trouble, I'd want this guy to come bail me out. Like, what which part of Alaska were you in? I was deep in Alaska. I, I took. I drove. It was like five hours from Anchorage or six. But yeah. for, for, for someone in Alaska, five. I went to a restaurant in Alaska, and the kids' menu was called the Texas size because they're like the little boys down there. It's like holy <laughs> shit, these guys are. It's a big state. They're resilient humans up oh, there. Yeah. They're they are a different breed of people. When you have bears in your backyard, you're a different person. It's also like the winter. It's surviving through the winter mm-hmm. there. You're you're planning ahead, but that and there's a sense of like real camaraderie where like if you don't pull over when somebody is in a ditch on the side of the road you're killing that person that person's not making it exactly yeah i i you know i grew up in boston and there's there's something to that there's the winter gives people a different sense of community 
you help people. Like we would, you know, help people get their cars out. Help, you know, you see someone stuck and their wheels are spinning. You pull over, you see what you can do. There's a thing to that that doesn't exist in Los Angeles because there's yeah. a diffusion of responsibility. There's too many people. You don't feel like you're a part of their problem. Like, eh, they'll be fine. But when they're not going to be fine, like a place like Alaska, that develops that, that sense of real connection with people. Yeah, I've huddled under, uh, uh, under an umbrella in a rainstorm in New York and you're like best friends with whoever yeah. it is. And then you can, you know, fuck you. <laughs> They're done. I don't but need for to be that your moment. friend. For that moment, we got brother, brethren. Well, that was the thing about New York post 9-11. Like post 9-11, New York was a beautiful place. Like I hate that that's what brought it out of people, but there's a thing about 9-11 after the attacks where it felt like people were more friendly, more connected to each other. It felt just different. It felt there was more love in the air. I think about this all the time when I think about, like, if we were to define some of these terms, like in the kitchen, you know, amongst restaurateurs, people are always talking about, like, oh, I care about my employees. And, and I'm like, well, like, what does it really mean to define the word care about somebody? Like, what does that mean? It's like, I'm going to put their needs in front of my own. Like, you know, that means I'm caring about them. And so there's like, there's the there's the there's the image of of caring because I say I care or like whatever that is or donate to charity and then there's the real like life caring about somebody when it's going to be more inconvenient for me to stop and help and I'm going to miss something maybe important for me but I'm going to take the time to really care and I feel like in in certain areas folks are more interested in the image of caring than yeah. maybe in the real caring I think that's well well put I think that so many people are interested in looking like a good person and you know whether it's on social media or whether it's you know lip service the way you talk to other people about it but whether or not you really care, genuinely care, that's a different story. I, w I wish that, you know, but we, we're never going to, or, or hopefully we're not faced with an opportunity to like really where the rubber meets the road. But every now and then you're, you're, you're like, okay, shit's hitting the fan. I got to grab one person to help me. Like, who am I really going to call? Am I going to call mm -hmm. like my best friend who I bitch to? Or am I going to call like the person I don't really like, but I know is going to like come and help me and get me through the problem. I don't well, know. I'm sure that when human beings lived in tribal groups, our bonds and our connections were far deeper. I'm sure. Because we relied on each other so much more. There were no supermarkets. There, there was no refrigeration. You had to get food every day and everyone had to carry their own weight. And you were struggling. There was no, you know, you got lucky you or you were skillful rather and you got an animal and the whole tribe eats but then next thing in the morning you're back to work again there's there's no time off and you know that kind of life is a brutal vicious way of life where it's you know there's no hospitals so if you get hurt you don't survive generally if you get an infection you don't survive if you get an attack you don't survive <laughs> you're basically just you're not going to make it very far. but that the finality of existence probably brought people closer together. And I think one of the things that's, it's contrary to what you would think, like the, lo the logic would be that if life was easier, you'd be happier. But I don't necessarily think that's true. I think there's something about life being too easy that it fucks people's heads up because they need a certain amount of struggle in order to have a meaning for their existence. I think that's how we're hardwired because of hundreds of thousands of years of hard scrabble living to try to get by. And then within the last, you know, 
X amount of years, it's been pretty fucking easy to coast. You know, I mean, there's more fat people now than there ever been. This is the first time in history where poor people are fat. It's, you know, back in the day, fat people were super attractive. They would paint these Rubenesque models because it was so rare that a woman was so opulent that she, she had the ability to get overweight. She's well, there's also a different eating. definition today of what, um, what quote unquote, what being fat is, right? Like, um, I think that back in the day, there were fewer people that were really morbidly obese, which is, which is, you know, like I went to the doctor a few years ago. Doctor said, you know, you're morbidly obese. And if we, we, if we look at what that means from a medical, forgetting all the other- He said that to you? He said that to me. That I was doesn't like, make any sense. I was 210 pounds and I'm 5'8", and that, that, hit, that gets me there. Yeah, um, but that, you can't, that, they do that shit with BMI, that's nonsense. I'm, all I know I'm is he said obese. it's unhealthy. You're not obese, are you? I'm technically obese. If you look at the body mass index, I'm technically obese. So maybe the doc, you know, from a medical perspective, they're saying, look, is this a healthy weight that you're weighing? And then, you know- it's not, doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way because you're just doing it on an average of body height. People are built differently. They're just built differently. Their bones are different width. They have different size hands, different width shoulders. They're thicker. Some like a Samoans, for instance, there's some guys that are heavyweight kickboxers. Like, uh, for example, there's a guy named Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt is about 5'10". And he was one of the greatest kickboxers of all time. And he's a heavyweight. At 5'10", he was like 260 pounds. He's a thick, big, big fucking beast. dude. He's not morbidly obese. He's just built different. Some guys are built tiny and frail. You can't compare a guy who's 5'10", who's tiny and frail, with tiny bones, to a guy like Mark Hunt. Or a, a lot of other thick, a lot of Italians that are big, thick people at shorter shorter statures it's just you can't do that that body mass index it really should be about body fat like how much body fat what percentage body fat do you have now if i'm measured by body fat i'm not obese at all i'm not even close but if you look at just the bmi i'm technically obese so this is this is like a big you know people are like hey you're going on joe rogan this guy's you know got millions you know it's like the most listened to whatever so many people are going to hear this like what's the one thing that you would want the world if you could change something based on this like what would you want i would say well we we should really do a little bit better of educating people how to take care of their bodies mm. how to eat like yeah you go to school and every period is an educational period and then recess is when you eat and they don't teach us anything about the importance of what we put in our bodies, how we eat, how it's going to affect us. And it's maybe, you know, the most important decision we're going to make for our long-term health period. And I wish that I wish we would put a little bit more energy into that because what you're talking about right here is like, man, if, if people really understood what type of body they had and how to take care of themselves we would be in way better shape, man. We'd be in a way, we'd, be, we'd just be in a better shape. As a, We all feel better about ourselves when we are healthy and, re and, 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 and able to perform, right, physically. For sure. I think, you know, I mean, in a perfect world, it would be a normal part of everyone's day to exercise instead of this thing that people dread and people procrastinate about and most people put off. If you look at the percentage of people in America that are like legitimately obese, not by the body mass index, but by percentage of body fat, it's, un it, it's unusually high. 
And Although it's getting better, isn't it getting better? I feel as though really? visually from what I like, if you were to look at like you know ten years ago, it was the first generation of children who had a shorter life expectancy than their parents because you know congenital heart disease was 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 just such a massive killer, and it felt at that time just from observation. That um, that folks in the last, I mean, certainly in the last ten years, health and health-related exercise has been very way more popular. Like the gyms are constantly all over the place. Whether or not people are following through, it's definitely there was a there's has been a rebound. You don't feel that way? I think there has been a popularization of exercise, but in terms of the amount of people that are fit. I don't think there's been that much of a change, unfortunately. And during the pandemic, I think it's actually dropped off. You know, one of the things that uh, we were talking about recently uh, was children during the pandemic. There's been a big upswing in obesity amongst children, unfortunately, and big upswing in the amount of fat gained and weight gained for kids because, you know, for two years, they can't go outside. Yeah, can't, can't yeah, do anything. unfortunately, you know, the hope is that that turns around now. And that we we're kind of uh, we see the light at the end of the tunnel and we're getting out of this thing. But I, you know, it would have been an amazing. It's an amazing opportunity for during the pandemic for people to take care of their health and realize that that's like one of the primary factors of whether or not you have a good outcome versus a bad outcome from COVID. It's a huge. I mean, there's many factors, right? But that's a primary factor. Obesity is one of the the biggest comorbidities. There is no. There's just. Nobody has ever once argued that there's something negative about being in good shape. Like there's just exactly you know I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on, if you're in better shape, you you know it's better. Period. Yeah. Um, and there's no amount of exercise. Like there are people. Like my friend, I was talking about my partner at the meatball shop. This guy Mike Chernow. The guy is health obsessed, and it's like great. You're health obsessed. What, what, you know, like n no one's shaming you for that, man. Like every yeah. time I want to get a whiskey, he's out in the gym. Like good for him. Like that's a good thing being health obsessed. Um, you can be obsessed about a lot of things. Why not be obsessed about yeah. your health? You know, he's got a, um, he's got a, uh, a protein based breakfast oatmeal that he just launched. It's with G Gary Vayner. Do you know Gary Vaynerchuk? Sure. He's, he partnered with him and he did this thing that's very, Pro very... How do you get a protein-based oatmeal? So basically he was like, and I don't want to mess it up, he's the guy you should look at. It's, he's, he's, um, he started this company called Creatures of Habit based on, he, was, he started bodybuilding. He's, he, was, he got his pro card and it was his breakfast every morning. He was like, I, I eat my oatmeal and I put all I put it, I put protein in I put nuts and I make this delicious breakfast and and I want to 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 sell it I'm going to start selling it for for folks. So does he have like a whey protein? He's juice? got I think it it's um I don't think it's whey protein. Um, uh, I feel like. There was a reason that he is the type of. I mean, he's like you could talk to this. He, you should have this guy on the. You should have Looks him on. Good. There. He's, he's incredibly. Oh, pea protein. Pea, it's pea protein. Chia seeds, digestive enzymes, pumpkin seeds, Himalayan pinks. It looks great. Everything he put in there, he's Monk got fruit. a reason for it. Mm. Um, Stevia. So that's you're getting your sweetness with a, without sugar. Looks good. I think you would. Organic I think you'll be into this guy well. because he's got a he's got a really cool story. You like. You know, he he struggled. He got he was all, living on his own at 14 years old. He's like Ooh. the coolest kid I ever met, um, and he was my best friend for years and years and years. We opened this restaurant together. We fought like cats and dogs. We went to therapy, couples therapy together. It was really? a nightmare. Um, 
And we en- ended up not talking, breaking up for years. And then we recently reconnected and we're like, you know, I love you. Nah. I love you. <laughs> I get some of that get some of that free oatmeal. <laughs> Give me some of your protein oatmeal. I eat oatmeal and it's like like small on a hand grenade. I got like nine minutes before. Before done. you have to take a shot. Oh, yeah, right away. <laughs> Especially with coffee. <laughs> Just right away, yeah. And it's like a pack of cigarettes for other guys. Yeah, oatmeal and coffee. Those are the ones. Um, are you a coffee drinker? I drink coffee every morning. Um, Do you pay attention to it? So- Matt Rodbard, this this food IQ guy, he's a, he's he went to he went to Ethiopia. He's visiting ah, like coffee plantations of and coffee. He's, he's obsessed with it, and he was like, "Dude, you're just embarrassing yourself." Because I was a milk and sugar guy. Because I'm like, I, "This it doesn't ah. taste good." Add milk and sugar. It's like melted ice cream. I don't care. And he's got me on. There's this company, yes, yes, please, PLZ, mm. and they do a coffee subscription. And they basically oh. send it to you every week. And he was like, he subscribed me. He's like, you know, get this coffee. I get that same yeah. from Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle. I saw that in the phenomenal. store because of your your podcast. Good oh, coffee. Oh, it's the best. They're the best, and they're great people. It's an awesome yeah. company. Tell me, is there pro, is the is the caffeine in there? Do they have different coffees with different levels of caffeine? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's it's really on how much you roast it. Like dark roast actually has less caffeine, believe it or not. The, people think it's a stronger cup of coffee if it's a dark cup of coffee. It's not. Lighter uh, roasts are actually there less time in the roasting. It's, it affects the bean less. The flavor is different, and you get more caffeine. I actually, feel, I'm wearing a, this is a black rifle jacket. The, you got the black rifle. You got the Fuji yeah. match shirt on. Yeah. I love those guys. Yeah, they're great. They did my my garage. I like their geese, um, the Fuji geese, but they they fall off my ass, man. They don't they fit do? me right. Yeah, I got the wrong like ass. You got the wrong ass for, <laughs> for a Fuji gee. <laughs> what gee do you use? I, I like. Uh, oh, I used to. I've got a bunch of old Atomic geese that are. Oh, Atomas like, are great. They're still in in business. You know. Yeah, they're great geese. You know, but uh, that's my favorite thing. You go, you travel to a new city, you go train, and you buy a gee. Nice. And then every now and then they don't wave the mat fee, and then you're like, oh, fuck yourself. I'm nah, coming back here. I bought a $170 gi, and you didn't wave the mat fee? <laughs> <laughs> People are like, this is obscure talk yeah. here, kids. Uh, your um, your um, coffee thing, if you're, if you're really into it, you get into the flavors, and you get into drinking it black. I used to always add cream to my coffee, and I still do if I get Starbucks, because no offense, Starbucks. But generally speaking, their black coffee does not taste that good. It's, a lot of it is like overcooked and burnt. It's Did like, you? I read that How, Howard Schultz's um, biography, and it like turned me into a huge Starbucks fan because the guy is just so inspirational. You know, he like oh, brought coffee. He brought coffee culture to America. Like, I mean, coffee didn't exist here before. Like the espresso yeah. culture and espresso bars. He just, you know, for whether you like the coffee or don't or whatever you say, he was. It's really phenomenal what he's Well, done. they have that one machine. If you go to that one machine that, what is it called? The clover? Yeah, like sucks the coffee. Yeah. What is that called? Yeah. Is that a quote? Yeah, but I think Starbucks like bought them all, right? Because yes. Because they were like, yeah. this is too good. Nobody yes. else got this. He, no, yeah. he partnered with, the, oh, okay. it's part of his book. He like found this guy that was doing this thing and he was like, I want to partner with you and bring this to the world. It's like. It's a genius yeah. piece of kit. There was a Starbucks near my house in California that had one and I used to always get that. I would drink black. But other than that, I just pour some cream in there and it's good enough. But I generally like a uh, dark roast black coffee. And I've, I've gotten – it's a thing that's like you get accustomed to the flavor and the taste. Yeah, that's the machine. Yeah. It's really wild. Like you, you pour the beans in there and then you have to kind of whisk it and stir it. And there's some sort of a, a vacuum pro- – it is called a clover, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a vacuum process 
that creates the coffee, and it's the perfect temperature coffee. And then you got this weird hockey puck of grounds that come to the top, and then they just sort of scrape that hockey puck. Yeah, they've got off. their little squeegee. It's amazing. But I so this perfect. is my Matt and I have this conversation all the time because I'm like, you know, part of coffee culture at a coffee bar is the like theater of it all. Yes. And so when you go to coffee, but then I'm like, we're writing this cookbook. And I'm like, dude, can we just actually make coffee and taste it all these different ways and try and break down what's really important. Like, do I got to steep the beans and then wait 10 minutes and then start again and get the rest of the water in there? Do I have to, you know, is that, is that, is that a blooming process really matter? Like how long before I grind the beans? And we came to the conclusion that like, some of the things are, and, and, and look, if you got a morning tradition that includes, you know, putting on your monocle and like putting on your bow tie <laughs> <laughs> and grinding your beans, That's hilarious. your there. But, but for me, we were like, actually fresh grinding your beans makes a huge difference. And mm. then I love a pour over coffee. Um, and, and blooming the coffee matters, like getting it, getting it wet first and then starting and then putting a little more water in afterwards. So it has some time. So to, you know you know what I'm talking no, about? No, explain that. So what, what, Matt wrote the recipe in the cookbook, but basically it's like, you know, a, an old school glass drip coffee maker actually makes really great coffee, like an old bun machine, mm-hmm. where the drip comes down slow, so it gets the 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 ground coffee wet, and it gives it a chance to like absorb the water, and then the flavor to filter out. Whereas if you just pour all the water over dry beans right away. Like a French press. It doesn't, well, French press, it steeps it in there, right? Right. Like French press, you pour it in, you let it steep in there, and then you strain it out. But a lot of people, when when they do like a pour over coffee or whatever they're doing, they just put the beans in their filter, ground beans in their filter, pour the hot water over and let it drain through. And you leave a lot of the flavor behind. Whereas if you get it wet, let it sit for a minute, and then pour the rest of the water through, you have you get more extraction of the flavor. So when you say get it wet, like how wet? Well, I put 20% of the water in. So like for me, I do 21 grams of coffee and 350 grams of water. And Jesus. that's a that's an eight that's hour. Very specific. <laughs> well, everything is this way. I'm a psycho about everything I do. I mean, salting meat, I got I do it by the by the percentage weight. Everything's percentage weight for me. Really? You don't just like salt bay it? And- no, no, no. I mean, I do the salt bay after I weigh it first. You know, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Um, no, everything everything for me is 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 that's the way you get great consistency, and that's the way you can really figure out what you did wrong and get it better is by by adjusting it incrementally, right? Mm. Like. So the that that twenty one grams of, of of ground coffee for for you know whatever it is a full size cup of coffee what is this is a beautiful do I get to keep this mug? oh yeah sure really? yeah. is that a kind of, I just yeah. offered that to no, myself no 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 see yeah it's for I like 100%. this mug. it's for you thank you that would be a great thank you I'll You're drink welcome. my coffee and look at All you right. every day beautiful um, I'll get weird <laughs> it's handsome um, and uh, but so I take I take the first hundred grams of water and I pour it over. And then I go and I take my, my, I do some of my morning activities. Like I'll, before I start the shower, I do my, and then I come back and I finish the coffee the other time. How much time grams. in between? Depends upon what I have for dinner the night before, really. 
Oh, so you take a shit. Yeah, take a shit, and then yeah. I come back and we finish. But so know, like fifteen minutes. Yeah, it could be yeah. any amount of time. It's just really, it should. It, it'll. I don't like to drink my coffee super hot, so I don't mind that extra time to cool it down a bit. Mm. But I think you just want to give it about two minutes for the coffee to bloom for it to. For the whatever, you know, there are scientists that would explain like the starches are absorbing the water, which is allowing them to release. The, because if you think about pouring coffee over, gra- it's like little ground pebbles of coffee beans. You pour the water over and you want the water to have a chance to leach out the flavor that's inside of the ground. And like espresso is really fast and you grind it really, really fine, right? Whereas maybe a French press is going to steep for quite a while. So you grind it quite a bit coarser and so pour over maybe somewhere in between but it still needs a few few seconds to steep but that's what you prefer the pour over yeah i'm a pour over guy i uh had a guy on my podcast many years ago um peter giuliano is that how you say his last name he is a like a legit coffee expert like i just started kind of getting into coffee and i was like well there's got to be a guy out there that really knows coffee and I got this guy on, and he gave me a full. He's like a fanatic. What's his? Does he own a coffee company, or is he? I don't remember. Uh, coffee Science Foundation. Science. Coffee. This guy's a real coffee. Oh, coffee he, specialty he really association. He knows so much. There you go. But one of the things that he explained was that all coffee comes from Ethiopia, and that this oh. idea of Colombian coffee and that coffee in South America it was brought to South America from Ethiopia. And then they had to deal with a bunch of issues like coffee rust, like mold growing on coffee and stuff like that, because Ethiopia is a very arid climate and uh, they would just dry the beans out in the sun. But you couldn't do that in these uh, very moist South American climates so that they had to come up with a completely different method of uh, processing the processing coffee. Processing yeah. beans. Interesting. Very interesting. Because when you think about coffee, a lot of times people think of Colombia, right? You think of like Juan Valdez and the Colombian coffee and... I mean, there was a commercials when we were kids of the, 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 like the guy with the donkey. And Remember? yeah, well, absolutely. The can. Yeah. It yeah, was great. Yeah. yeah. yeah Everybody's got that can. I put yeah. my money in there. But it all came from Ethiopia. One of Bob Marley's kids got a coffee company in uh, Jamaican coffee. Oh, really? And uh, I don't know. I don't want to advertise it. He stiffed me with the bill at a restaurant. Really? I was like, you're so rich. And you just, just jammed what? on the bill. Dude. I, I was eating with him. We were eating dinner together. And then he was like, yeah, I got to go. I was like, oh, Bill came and I was like, damn, this guy's got so much dough. And he didn't even offer to pay? Did he, he was out. He was out. Blame it on the blame it on the marijuana, I guess. Well, there's a little bit of that. Dine and dash. Maybe cut the guy's good excuse. <laughs> good excuse. But good he coffee. told you he was leaving, right? Yeah, but then he gave me like a pound of coffee a couple of weeks later. He was like, You should put this in your restaurant. I was like, Oh, homie, if you wanted to, you know, gotta pick up Send your, me a thousand bucks. Pick up your portion. That was like thirty eight dollars. Oh, <laughs> you're complaining about thirty eight dollars? Yeah, for yeah, for I'm I'm a you're Jew really from New York, but I remember every penny of that's ever been stiffed. What did you, what did you guys go to eat? Um Oh man, where was I? I was with uh what were you eating? I can't. I can't tell you because it would. It would. It would betray the the restaurant that I was in and the folks that I was with, and they would be really upset. With, you know, like this is again like eleven million people are going to be googling this thing. I'm going to get hate mail. Okay, I it's understand. Gonna be a thing. I understand. But is it eleven million people? Is a lot. Do you know them all? But yeah, you I don't, don't think know. about it. I try not to think about Do it. Really? Otherwise, I'd be weirded out by this conversation. If you if you thought about the amount how many of people, people know that I take a shit between when I put the water in the, in the coffee at the <laughs> don't beginning, don't think about it. <laughs> don't think about the numbers that are listening. It'll no. fuck up the experience. It doesn't bother me. Good. It so, seems to not be bothering you at all. But there is a pen and paper here, which makes me feel like that's that's my. <laughs> but occasionally, sometimes like notes. like mine is like scattered with like little things that I'm supposed to remember, and I rarely check. 
but there's like a few people that I've booked because of conversations that I've had oh, with people. Yeah. On you podcasts. take a note. You yeah, want to get back to something. Down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't want to interrupt you, but I, I you don't want to stop your flow. But I have a thought for later. Um, how long did this book take to write? We spent a year on this book, um, Matt and I. The writing, because there's there's 120,000 words in there. So listen, like you work in a restaurant, you teach people how to cook for a living, and the way I think about it is, most cookbooks explain how to do an individual task, but don't really take the time to explain the why behind what you're doing is important. And kind of like if you lead a horse to water and you beat it over the head and you can't keep it alive necessarily, but if you teach it to drink or fish, it'll like feed itself for years. You know what I'm saying? I think you fucked that thing up, but <laughs> what I know if, what you're saying. You, you know, you teach a fish to, <laughs> to, to ride a horse. Um, if you if you give people the 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 if you explain the the why behind what they're doing, it gives them the like entrepreneurial authority to make decisions in the kitchen mm. and gives them the confidence to like cook with without being so people are scared a lot of times of, of, of changing one thing because they think they're going to ruin the dish because they don't explain understand what they're doing right so we were like we want to not just write a cookbook but we we had this column together where it was a hundred questions for my friend the chef and it was like i got a question can you explain what's going on here so I really can understand it? And this was an expansion of that where we were like, we take a question, we, we have an article that explains what's really going on. And then the recipe for me is very delicious, but the real goal of the recipe is to like help illustrate. For instance, like you go to the supermarket, there are all these different types of olive oil. You're like, they're like $30 for a little bottle, and then this one's like a gallon for 10 bucks. Like, why are they different? I don't really understand. Am I supposed to do something different with them? But as an American, we're just like, yo, the most expensive is the best. So I'm just going to buy the most expensive one. I always wanted to know about that. Like, what, what is the difference in olive oils? So there are, um, uh, depending upon the extraction and the yield from the crop and the the um, uh, 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 and the real estate price of where it's being grown, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, uh, the different olive oils have different strengths, different flavor, you know, strengths of flavor. So some of them are very, very light flavored and neutral, and they're great for salad dressings and for cooking with. And some of them are extraordinarily pungent, like can be spicy and fruity, and they're really like a seasoning for finishing something with. So we then take, we explain that, you know, how that process works, why that is, why a $30 olive oil, if you were to, you know, $30 a, um, uh, for a small bottle of olive oil, if you were to cook with it, it's just like a big waste. Or make a salad dressing, it can be really, it can clash with the lemon. It'd be very spicy, bitter, and unpleasant. And, and then we illustrate it with a recipe that says, hey, we got this, this pasta where we're going to saute the garlic in the light-flavored olive oil. And then at the end, we're going to finish it with a with this finishing expensive olive oil. So you can really see, like, now I understand. So now, from then on, you're going to understand how to use this ingredient. And you'll never have a question again. You'll never have, like, you'll never have to go back to the recipe, if that makes mm. sense. How does one know? Like, is it based on price? Like, how do you know, like, what's, like, a more yeah. robust and olive It's oil. 10 bucks a ten bucks a. Uh, a liter basically for the lighter flavored stuff and 30 bucks a liter is the expensive stuff is basically what it comes down to for restaurant pricing so you know you see a bottle of you know colavita or whatever it is and it's a big bottle for eight bucks and, and it says ex it's always extra virgin olive oil that i'm using but 
it's a, a, a the less expensive stuff has got more a bigger yield like more, you know you're getting they're, they're getting more out of it it's less it's a milder it's a milder olive oil yeah. and what is like a really good expensive strong tasting olive oil what companies there's a company called Laudemio that for me is the number one it's a big, and like spell that L A U D E M I O maybe it's got a great La- look Laudemio, Laudemio. Laudemio. I, I'm probably it's like fresco ball did the Santa Gata the loud damn you're oh I'm not allowed to do it oh shit they told me if you do accents you're done no accents you can do accents Italian accents okay? yeah I'm Italian who's they you're not the guy that's you're not the that's guy. okay those are my people those are my people oh wow. um, so uh, loud so demio there oil right there. you know it's so expensive look at that it's like a tiny bottle but this stuff 44 is, bucks for 16 ounces this stuff for me like you know, it's like liquid gold, man. Mm. There are a lot of great finishing oils out there. And like anything else, it's a it's a seasonal product that gets pressed in the fall and you gotta use that years. If you leave it sitting around, it's not gonna be good anymore. And are you a guy that will sprinkle a little bit of that on a steak and then add some salt to it after you're done? I love that. Yeah. I I've, the first time like that that beefsteak of Fiorentina, the first mm. time I had olive oil and lemon and salt on steak, it was like I got obsessed with, before I got this Argentine grill, I got obsessed with watching Italians cook steak over wood. Because there's, believe it or not, and I don't know a fucking word they're saying, because they're just talking in the native tongue over there, and they're cooking these steaks over wood and then eating it and going, oh, oh, with the hands and serving it, and it's... It's pretty amazing, and there's a, a bunch of restaurants in Florence that specialize in just steak, which you think of steakhouses as being very much an American thing, but uh, in Italy, this is their thing, and they almost universally are cooking over wood, and so I got really into it. There's a, um, I mean, I've definitely had some extraordinary experiences in Tuscany with those steaks, and then in Florence with the steaks and then you know you think well maybe it was just because I was like because you get you get high on the experience of being there and you're like I don't know was it really that good that's why I went back to the barbecue because I was like I don't know man that was the first time I ever had it like let me go back and then you eat it again you're like nope this is really good like they're doing something (laughs) special and and that's how I feel about Florence like the, the steaks in Florence that's they. It's something special. It's a specific type of, yeah. type of cow as well, correct? It's a what do they call it, the Kianina cow. It's like that. There's that Dario the butcher who's made it all famous because he's he. Uh, I don't know. He's like reciting from what's that poet the Dario the butcher's. Uh, anyway, there was a there was a, a, a book by a disciple of Mario Batali's who who wrote about it and really blew this guy up. And he's you know, this crazy larger than life character. They've got they're working cows, so they're. They're tough. They're tough if you try and cook them. They're cooked very rare, mm. and it's one of the few instances that you see a thick, tough steak cooked blood rare, and it can be tender because generally more a working cow um, makes a tougher meat, right? So you got to cook it longer and slower. It's a little counterintuitive. That's why when you oh. see like the grass-fed meat, and people talk about it not being that great, it's like you don't really know how to cook it. It's not supposed to be like when you go down to Argentina, you don't necessarily get like a thick steak like you do in America. It's a different way of cooking this specific thing that makes it great for what it is. I was going to ask you about that. Do you prefer a grain fed steak or a grass fed steak? So like if I want a thick ass ribeye and it's going to be delicious, um, like American experience, it's a grain fed steak is the American steak experience that I know and love. Um, 
the flavor of grass-fed beef is, you know, is phenomenal, right? And it can it's like be a richer flavor. It can be right? rich and fuller, and you got this. I love. I also really like a toothsome texture on a steak, whereas we really we 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 put a high we we put a high um, a price on tenderness here, where here America Americans generally. Whereas I like I like a toothsome steak, and grass-fed can have a great texture, chewy texture, which I like. Yeah, I don't get that whole need for everything to be something you can eat with your gums. <laughs> Well, you got your teeth still. That's yeah, I just give it a couple I, years. <laughs> <laughs> they make fake teeth, man. You can get new teeth if you lose a tooth. I just don't. I don't understand this. I think it's a lazy thing, like a like a not wanting to work even when you're eating. But America, I mean, America has the greatest meat in the world. I, I'm a big America guy. Like I love my country. I really and I love the food here. Um, I think. You know, I'm, I love McDonald's and I love fan, the fancy. Really? I love it all, you man. Love I just McDonald's? love. I love it all. I, 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 Do you I like eat fillet of fish. I've never had the fillet of fish. My That's wife loves love. the fillet of fish. That's I, what I, love. I eat the chicken nuggets. I'm a nugget man. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, God. with that it's barbecue sauce. Chicken dicks. It's just chicken <laughs> dicks I don't and think assholes. They're, I, I, I know this is not part of this podcast, but just you know, only three birds have penises, and chickens are not one of they them. They got the cloaca. They, yeah, but yeah. The, but the only three birds. Chickens yes. don't have, so there's no chicken penis in a, it's in true. a chicken nugget. Yeah. Chicken not, asshole. Not the fact. Good call. You're right. You got me on a technicality. <laughs> if they were du- ducks, have, <laughs> ducks have giant dicks. They're the longest penis of any animal. And they're corkscrewed like a I, fucking drill. And they can, <laughs> they can become erect and ejaculate in less than a half a second. Wow. And they can do flyby... It's a, it, there's a whole book about it, and unfortunately, almost all duck sex is non consensual, and they fly yeah. by and do it, but they never know. It's like it's half a second. Yeah, yeah, it's really something else. It's but that's awful. why the, the after that, that's why they took away the penises from the rest of the birds. Duck is a goddamn delicious bird. So here's I the had thing some duck about the other night from a ch- local Chinese restaurant it was phenomenal. Duck fat is mm. special. Mm. The same way the pork fat is for special. fries. It melts at a low temperature, and it can be. Very more. It's like you you n- almost never see cold preparations of meat with a lot of fat, except for pork and duck, because that fat melts at a low temperature and it gets mm. like. You ever have a cold lamb? Yes. And it can be like kind of waxy. Mm-hmm. Cold beef is the same way. The yeah. fat doesn't melt in your mouth. Whereas I eat a lot of cold beef. You do? Yeah, because what I do is I'll I'll cook like because I'm on this wacky diet and I have I don't have a lot of time, so I'll set aside. Like I'll cook like four or five ribeyes and then I slice them up and I'll put them in like a sealed glass Tupperware type deal. And then in the morning I I do my training and then I'll eat and I eat. I just pour some hot sauce on a plate and I dip the cold steak into the hot sauce and I eat it. What kind of hot sauce? My favorite right now currently is a company called Senor Lechuga out of Brooklyn, and they're fucking phenomenal. Do you know these guys? No. Who, who's Senor Lechuga out of Brooklyn? Uh, well, my friend Andrew, who runs uh, Half Face Blades, uh, he sent me a. He's a, a, a former Navy SEAL who's a knife manufacturer. He makes knives, and he wow. sent me one that he. Oh, let's look at my quote on there. Legit as fuck. Look at that. <laughs> um, look, habanero, onions, reapers. They they have all these different flavors. Like Andrews has. Um, it's got. Uh, I think he uses reapers. And, do you um, love it super spicy like that? Yeah. Oh, you do. <laughs> You're a real man. I, I have, I'm like a hot-ish guy. I like it hot. Yeah. Um, 
he um he has um truffles i think wow. um dried tomatoes or something like that i think that's what he has but he sent me a, a giant batch of it it's phenomenal it's really delicious it's got a great taste but it's also very spicy and so what i'll do is i'll pour a bunch of it on the plate and i'll dip these slices of uh, cold steak in and that's generally like i would say that's like 80 percent of the time that's what i eat for breakfast so listen to this so like the, this is a cookbook. We have the last chapter is is like project. Some some cooking. We we're obsessed with cooking shit fast here in America. Mm. Like you're like I gotta cook this and and everything you look online is like yo how can I make a roast chicken ten, in minute ten minutes abs. <laughs> you're like yeah. you, you can't you can't make a roast. There's lots of great chicken dishes in ten minutes. Like roast chicken ain't one of them. And so there's a hot sauce recipe in here. It takes like three weeks. And I re- <laughs> it takes more than that. Um, but. You should, you should, I, you got the book. I really think you, it's a, it's only got five ingredients. It's a fermented hot sauce mm. that I, I've been making for years. I got obsessed with it. So um, you make your own hot sauce too. I make my own hot sauce and, you know, not to sell, man, just for, I, I used to make it because the meatball shop, I used to do it at the meatball shop and, uh, I, man, we got it embargoed by the health department. It was a whole thing. Um, what happened? Okay. So, <laughs> so I had this commissary kitchen in Brooklyn and, and I was fermenting hot sauce, which is, you know, I don't think you're allowed to do this. Um, I did a bunch <laughs> of research about it, but I knew you weren't allowed to do this. So I labeled it. Um, man, I don't think you're allowed to say this. I'm, I'm going to get in trouble, but that's okay. It's worth it. I, I labeled it like, like uh, fermented hand soap. Because I thought the health department would come in and be like, oh, he's just like making hand soap. It's not, it's like non-edible fermented hand soap. Like it'll be fine. And they were like, what's this? And I was like, oh, it's like hand soap. And they just didn't buy it at all. Like they're like, how stupid do we think you, you know, like zero chance. And so they, they were like, this is hot sauce. They made me, they went, they went to every single one of our restaurants. I had like nine restaurants at the time. And they put an embargo on my hot sauce. I had to like lock it up. Why? What's um, wrong with? I don't understand. Well, because it because if you're gonna ferment something, they're worried about like bacterial growth, not doing it right, and killing a bunch of people. Which, frankly, I should be concerned about as well. Yeah, but come on, with hot sauce, is that even a, a no situation? Has, has anyone ever died from? Nope. I mean, no one has ever died from from fermented. So basically, <sighs> overregulation. You could do that in Texas; they wouldn't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, they they give you would. a gun too. People are just dropping dead from hot sauce <laughs> right and left. <laughs> <laughs> they just the um the the ultimately, I had to give a sample of it to NYU, and they did like a three week incubation, you know, process, and then I got it unembargoed. And so this is this has now been proven to be safe. NYU has a fucking hot sauce lab. They have to. They had to put it in an incubator, and they try and grow back like negative bacteria out of it. So they're oh. like, as if you left it in your cupboard. But isn't that like the whole reason for hot sauce in a lot of climates? Like a lot of like that's one of the reasons why Mexico uses a lot of hot sauce. What I I was under the impression that those spices actually kill a lot of the bad bacteria. Like, isn't that one of the reasons why they use wasabi in sushi as well? I think that's a fallacy. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I think oh. I don't. I think if you have bad meat and you put hot sauce on it, you just get I don't, I don't spicy. Mean, I don't bad mean meat. it that way, but I mean I think that. No, no, I think it's actually a fallacy. Some, yeah. Oh, yeah. but let's uh, can Google. we look that up? Yeah, let's I... Google that because I remember, the, I remember watching this thing. Maybe I was reading something where a, a, a Japanese sushi chef was talking about how foolish Americans are to eat sushi without wasabi, and that wasabi actually helps protect you from the potential 
bad bacteria of the sushi. I imagine a world where that Japanese man believed what he was saying was true and said with great enthusiasm. <laughs> but I always thought, like, if you think about places where it's, like, hot, hot temperature, you know, like... But they'd also grow... That's where chilies grow. Uh, chilies grow mm, where it's hot. It that's kills true. a specific bacteria, oh. H. Oh. pylori, which can cause digestive problems, but it doesn't kill all bacteria and it doesn't kill parasites or anything like that. Uh, well, yeah. But, okay, so some bacteria. Mm -hmm. So they probably figured it out in some place. Yeah. So there's probably something to it. Now, is that just hot peppers? Like, it all hot peppers? or This says, and this thing I looked up, specifically Japanese wasabi. Oh. So it said oh. other things you might be getting a mixture of. This is what CNN has an issue with right wasabi. here. Because he's like, yeah. listen, you're fine. As long as you eat the chili, you'll be fine. Dude. I don't think I said that. <laughs> yeah, this is sadly you're not getting real wasabi at your average restaurant because it's difficult to make. And very expensive, so you're, it's a mixture of oh, horseradish. horseradish with yeah. green food coloring. Yeah, yeah. Philip said that too. You know, Philip was the head chef at Sushi Bar ATX. Um, could, is he opening? He when is he opening it. his sushi? He's got another place that's opening up very soon. I believe it's going to be in March, and I will most certainly announce it on my Instagram and fuck up his entire organization. And, oh, actually, so the very next thing talks about a myth about mixing wasabi with soy sauce, and the very first sentence is, don't do it. Wasabi's original germ-killing purpose is no longer valid. You're not getting real stuff wasabi. Can I ask what mm. the, what, where you're, is this like a, where uh, I went to, it's grunge.com, <laughs> and it's was, uh, sushi myths that are very stupid. Okay, no. let's uh, go with hot, spicy food, like um, hot peppers. Try that. Google that same thing. So I typed in wasabi. Does wasabi yeah. kill bacteria? And right, but let's just go Google hot peppers kill bacteria, like spicy peppers, because I think that was what I had heard first. And I, I think Bourdain might have been the one who told me that. I mean, I never speak poorly about the dead, so I would never. <laughs> <laughs> Capiscums, there you go. Yeah. Including chilies and other hot peppers are in the middle of the antimicrobial anti pack, killing or in inhibiting up to 75% of bacteria, while pepper of the white or black variety kills, inhibits 25% of bacteria. So that is true. Wow. So spicy food does kill some bacteria, 75% of bacteria. Wow, man. But look I'm, at this. Spicy food really does not kill bacteria in another one. Wow. Well, what are the fucking... See? So it's just... Yeah. It's complicated. Who's right? I think that we get to tie. We get to tie. We both get to live to fight another day. That's a big... That's a... That's a I love says, but Look at this. Does spicy food kill bacteria? Yes. Hot foods kill bacteria. There are two yeah, but, main but reasons wait. why spicy foods kill bacteria. The first thing you read comes from a 1998 article. No, right below that. I know, but I'm saying the first thing you read. Oh, I say in 1998 they thought that. What about that one before that food vision that w which says right it does? Yeah, click see what time, when that article is. 2021. It says it does. Yeah, but like this. So what are they basing it on? I know, but that's why I said it's like a blog. So that's the problem, this is right? This just fake news. God 100%. damn it! <laughs> fake news. <laughs> Sorry so to scroll. Say. Uh, go back. Go back. Go back to what you just saw, mm -hmm. and scroll down a little bit. So it says, yes, uh, hot foods kill bacteria. The two main reasons why hot foods kill bacteria: heat from the spices killing off any harmful bacteria in your mouth. Some of these spices contain an ingredient called uh, cap. Yeah, capsaicin. Capsaicin. I always say that wrong which can help stop harmful stomach bugs like E. coli and salmonella. Does spicy food kill stomach bacteria? Some of the spices contain an ingredient called capsaicin, which helps. They're, they're repeating the themselves. So I wouldn't go with this. This is it's a like, shitty blog. All right. That's, I know. Yeah, they're writing AI like assholes. Written it. I, wouldn't. I yeah. think you should go to Harvard EDU. I would never pull that and up. Talk about <laughs> it's probably Russian disinformation. <laughs> they're trying probably. To, get us to have food poisoning. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> 
Um, go to uh, Half Face Blades uh, Senor Lechuga Sauce. Because uh, this is my absolute favorite. He he just sent me a giant jar of it. And this stuff, I'm pretty sure it has, um, I think it has dried tomatoes in it too. I think it has like reapers. Truffle reaper it's called. Yeah, go to it so we can see. What's up, what's up. Oh, sorry. That's it right there. Wow. Yeah, it, oh, heirloom tomatoes. So it's got heirloom tomatoes. It's got winter truffle and reapers. That stuff is the shit. That is my absolute favorite hot sauce. I'd love to. I'd love to try this. Oh, I'll, I'll get you some. I'll get you some. I'll have some Truffle sent to you. Fusion red onion. One hundred percent. Wow, he's got a lot of ingredients. His in stuff is so good, man. I'm telling you, it's 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 both spicy. I don't I don't like just want, you know, like that's like you know they have that. Um, no offense to the the show, but that hot wing show where you eat is like it's hot. The wings. Yeah, but it's you hysterical. Can, like, it's funny. It's, have you been on that show? No, none. It's hysterical. Well, why I, not? I don't want to answer questions while I'm crying. It doesn't it's make so any funny. sense. It, I'm sure it is. some of those I guys. I talk enough. <laughs> I talk enough to, to not do anybody else's show. But when you do uh, like the flavor of something and it also has a kick, that's what I like. And that's yeah. why I like the Senior Lechugas. I think that um, that's something that people lose sight of. And it's I could not agree with you more emphatically. Yeah. Like, the spice of these chilies, especially when you're talking about some like a habanero, which is so spicy, it's got a really special like floral, fruity flavor. Yes. And then people just want to kill it with the spice. You're like, yo, man, it's there's a it's a seasoning, right? It's not right. just for the heat. Like we could just put cayenne pepper on there if you just want. The you heat. lose something. You lose something by just. It's like a macho thing. I think guys want to just like. Although some people are born with a different like my my stepsister my 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 step my sister in law my brother's wife Stephanie, she um. She loves spice so much that I'm like, there's there's something about your tongue that's different. As a, she likes spice so much that as a little kid, she heard that her aunt had pepper spray in her in her <laughs> purse, and this is a legitimately true story. She she, she went down and after everyone went to sleep at like seven years old and sprayed herself in the face with pepper oh spray. <laughs> Woke the whole and she just you know uh, everybody's like what did they do what did they bring you to the hospital They're like no they laughed at me <laughs> they just laughed oh at me. Oh my god that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah so she she likes spice in a way where I'm like. It's not just liking spice. Like your tongue is not picking up the same sensitivity that my tongue. I is. think you're 100 percent correct about that because my kids vary wildly, and mm. my my wife has a sensitivity to spicy food, and I love spicy food. So I have one daughter that hates spicy food, doesn't want any spice, and I have another one who's a little savage who who has Senor Lechuga, and, and she puts it. it. She'll like pour it on. Like she'll like we'll have like uh, chicken. And she'll dip like drumsticks into this hot sauce yeah. and be chewing on. I'm like, are you okay? Like in the beginning, it freaked me out. But you know, she's fucking eleven, and yeah. when she was like nine, she was doing this. I was like, this is wild. This, this kid is, is concerning. This kid's a savage. I thought she was like playing it up, like yeah. she was gonna start crying, and then, but nope, she just like, mm, this is bad. And she laughs. She's like, it's not even that spicy. Like something's going on with her mouth. It's very different than my my middle daughter. My main problem with the spicy is that um, I like it from here to here. But like your asshole. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. That <laughs> snake bite is no I just can't do it. <laughs> I mean It is a weird feeling oh when your 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 asshole's on fire from the food oh. you ate in your mouth. Like what's going on inside? That's the other thing. There's this uh, guy named Paul Saladino. He's uh, he's he goes by this uh, the name Carnivore M D and he's a firm believer that 
most of the foods that people eat are not necessarily good for you to thrive on. And he believes that like meat and fruit are the, the safest bets. And he thinks that hot peppers are bullshit. He's like, it's really not good for you. They create leaky gut. They create inflammation. Like you, when you're taking in that spice, that is uh, basically defense chemicals from these plants so that you don't eat them. That's what they want. They want you to not eat them. So they, they, you bite into it, it's fucking horrendously painful, and that keeps animals from eating them. But then at the same time, those same spicy, you know, birds don't have a, uh, a sensitivity to spice. And so the flowers are designed in such a way as to attract the birds to eat them to spread their seeds. So you're like, oh, man, I'm not a botanist and, I, and, I, and I'm not an evolutionary scientist, but like clearly... Um, there's a lot of information we don't know out there, and there have been, I mean, with talking about the gluten stuff and, and, you know, they're making their leaps and bounds. Every day they're discovering new information about the way our bodies work and process food, and we're, we're going to get to the bottom of it very soon because there's, yeah. there's a lot of bullshit out there. I mean, there's so much bullshit there when really it comes is. to food, and it's so yeah. annoying. And, like, you know, my mom was like, is a real hippie. She eats like, she's like only mashed organic food and then you know we all made fun of her and like 50 years later it turns out she was right and the hippies <laughs> won and like you should eat only you know, like organic healthy natural foods and you shouldn't be eating all this chemical crap so i feel like over the course of the next however many years we're going to start to really see how our body works unlock these and then you know some of the shit will be right and some of it'll be have you eaten in italy I have. Do you notice the difference in the way your body feels when you eat their pasta? Okay. So I, I got to, this is a big myth. This is a big myth that I got to debunk. How so? Okay. Well, I don't really know what I'm talking about. So I want to start with that as okay. a caveat. And then I want to get into a lot of the pasta made in Italy is made with American wheat. A lot of the pasta that, that we think of as Italian, they actually import a lot of their wheat. So I don't believe that it's, I don't believe that genetically the wheat is. And I'm not, again, I don't know this. Like, we need to get, who's the scientist? I was just on some show the other day, and I said something, and they were like, well, Neil deGrasse Tyson was on here last week, and he said, and He like, doesn't oh, know well. jack shit about wheat. <laughs> I was but, like, that guy doesn't. But um, my friend Maynard Keenan, you know, the lead singer of yeah. Google, he uh, owns, uh, well, he also owns Merkin Vineyards, so he makes his own wine. But he also- or, Isn't a Merkin a male? It's a girl. It's a, it's a, a, a toupee it's a for your vagina. Uni, Is it? Maybe. I mean, I could definitely wear. Yeah. Well, that's him. He's a silly okay. boy. He likes to. He's so he also, did that on purpose. He's a brown belt in jiu-jitsu too, by the way. I'm not going to talk shit. Yeah, he's a legit athlete and a real martial artist and a great guy. Just a genius person. But anyway, my point is, he told me that what was going on is, and you know, he makes pasta and makes breads, and you know, his uh, osteria. He has a really great osteria in uh, Old Town um, Scottsdale, uh, Arizona. In outside What's it of called? A Merkin Osteria. It's really great pizza. Really great food. He's just an awesome guy, and his wine is fantastic too. He's got a lot of like really interesting experimental wines. Like he made, his like an experimental champagne that he made, and great stuff. But anyway, he told me that they used to have wheat that was essentially lower yield, and it had less complex glutens in it. And through manipulation over the years of you know just selective 
growing, they've developed a wheat that is a higher yield, higher yield per acre. But the problem with it is it's like a denser, thicker wheat with more complex glutens. And with some people, they have more difficulty in processing that wheat. Now, he said when you get wheat that is from Europe that is heirloom wheat, and he likes a mixture of them, by the way. He doesn't necessarily, he's like for the bite and the chew, he likes a little bit of the more uh, complex wheat that people have a harder time digesting. But his take is just have it in moderation. Don't eat it all day, every day, but eat it occasionally. The problem is that I, as a chef, I get very hung up on this like gluten-free thing. It's very difficult, you know, because you just get people coming into your restaurants with their allergies and they're 99% of it is bullshit. And so um, I get like a visceral negative reaction when anybody has, and I put a smile on my face and I'm like, I serve people and I want them to have a great experience. So I don't want to be rude, but I'm just like, Argh. have you ever done one of those food allergy tests? Cause you said you have allergies, right? To hay fever and stuff like it. that. You should. It. I know that I, I'm I, allergic to gluten. <laughs> I know. <laughs> How could I not? You should smell the, I mean, it's un. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think that's real. And I think, Listen, nobody loves pasta or, or pizza more than me. I fucking love it. When I'm eating a big bowl of pasta, I'm a glutton. I eat way too much of it, whether it's lasagna or spaghetti, and that's how I get fat. But You know that my, Felix is one block away from my house. Oh, yeah. One block away. I live that one block away. That is the best restaurant. That is, that is literally one of the absolute best restaurants on yeah. planet Earth. That guy makes pasta. Oh, my God, does he make pasta. And it's so good. It's so good. He also charges you for it. Yes, you should. Like, that it's was $100. Fucking, you're on fucking Abbot Kenny in the Kenny. middle of, it's expensive over there, even though there's tents everywhere. <laughs> but even. point is, that place, I'm eating pasta. Fuck yeah. my diet, you know? But it's like, for the most part, my body doesn't react the best when I have a lot of bread. I feel like that is the Eastern European kind of like b body shape of a beer belly. Mm -hmm. is some sort of must be some sort of gluten, you know, sensitivity or whatever, or, or we get it from, from yeah. that. And we all look the same and it's great look. <laughs> and I'm, I support it. I'm into it. My wife loves me. She loves my belly and I love it. I would have a hard time. I would have a hard time giving it up, man. Not yeah, for I don't give pack. it up. I don't give it up, but I, I've cut it way back. Cut it yeah. way back. Like the other night I had tacos. We had uh, some CM Smokehouse, another fantastic oh. place in town. Um, Nick, the owner of the comedy club that we uh, work at, he went, uh, Vulcan Gas Company, he went to CM Smokehouse and brought a ton of fucking insane tacos back to the green room. Oh my God, it was good. And I'm not, I didn't, was not going to leave them there. I had to indulge. With wheat, with wheat flour tortillas. Wheat flour oh, tortillas that are cooked in uh, beef tallow, Ooh, apparently. So good. Yes, it was so good. It was phenomenal. Because in California, we're mostly mostly corn. I like corn, corn too. Tortillas. I, lo I love corn tortillas too. I love authentic Mexican food. I'm a, a giant fan of like real legit Mexican food. So we talk about. I talk about this all the time, trying to like figure it out. Like Mexican food is one of the greatest cuisines in the world. Mm. You know, like why does a country develop a this amazingly complex food like why do they have a relationship to food that allows them to make it one of the things that they put their energies into like you know you look at japan versus um uh japan and china and vietnam and then 
you look at other countries in the near vicinity and you're like, wow, these cuisines are so spectacular. And like, mm. you know, you look at Mexico and you're like, why is the food here so good? Yeah. What is it? Italy, I mean, different areas in the world have, have, have cultures that are surrounded by food um, and love for food. But like, why is Mexican food so good? Why is it breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Is it the confluence of ingredients? Is it the the people's passion for it? I don't know. Well, there's so much going on in Mexico, right? First of all, there's a giant emphasis on family. That is a big part of Mexico and also a big part of Italy, which is maybe like one of the reasons why I'm drawn to it. <clears throat> it's because like my grandmother used to cook. She used to make her own pasta. She made her own sauce. They grew the tomatoes in the backyard. I mean, I, I remember to this day, my grandmother rolling out the flour and rolling out the dough to make pasta, make lasagna, and make <clears throat> all, all different kinds of pasta. And there's something about those meals where the whole family's together just going, oh, this is incredible. Like, it's like there's an emphasis in uh, a lot of Latin cultures, like Italian being one of them and, and Mexico being another one of them, where like the emphasis is around these family meals. Hmm. And <clears throat> there's something about Mexican cuisine that is, I, like I said, I'm a giant fan of spicy, which is also a factor for sure, right? Because like a fantastic carne asada with like a little bit of a kick to it. And it's like there's something about like mole, delicious flavors. And I'm just, uh, I just, I think there's so many different exciting flavors that come out of Mexican uh, restaurants and Mexican cuisine. And there's a guy in America that's like the guy out of Chicago, you know, Rick oh, Bayless. Oh, yeah, Rick Bayless. Is, he, yeah. He, was an, he was an anthropologist doing his master's degree in Mexico and was like, fuck this. I give it up. This is so good. And he just devoted his whole life to studying and, and promoting and cooking Mexican food. He was he's, an anthropologist? Yeah. yeah oh, he's got, wow. He's a, such a smart guy. And when he talks about food, it's just so inspiring. It, you know? Yeah. And he knows ever and the towns and where it came mm -hmm. from. He takes the scientific approach. There's a, the, the, have you seen the pasta grannies um, Instagram? No. It's like all grandmothers in Italy making <laughs> pasta by hand and they're 100 years old and it's oh, wow. fantastic. That it's sounds hysterical. great. The pasta grannies? Pasta grannies <clears throat> is great. Um, I follow Rick Bayless on Instagram. Oh my God, those those ladies yeah. all look like my grandmother, and they're all just like you know making pasta. <laughs> oh yeah, there it is. Look at yeah. her go. You know these. Oh hands. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my God, yeah, exactly. Look at that. But Rick Bayless, I saw him speak um, a bunch of years back in Chicago, and I was so inspired by that guy. And his food is as good as it, as it, uh, as as it as it should be. Like he, you know, he, it's not just that he writes about food or talks about food. His restaurants are fantastic. What is his restaurant in Chicago called? XOXO uh, something? I'm, I'm, I'm losing the name, and it's embarrassing because well, I should know it's it. It's uh, Jamie will find it. Yeah. Um, but he took a lot of shit where people are saying he's culturally appropriating Mexican culture by cooking Mexican food. It's like, my God, why are you even concentrating on that? The man loves this food. He's promoting Mexican cuisine with honor and respect and dignity and passion. He's so enthusiastic about it. It's only helping people. There's nothing this man is doing that is in any way, shape, or form wrong yeah, or disingenuous. Not in yeah. any way. The guy worships Mexican cuisine. I mean, he. I was watching a video on his Instagram the other day where he was talking about like going into a Mexican supermarket in, in Chicago. So he's like showing like all these incredible ingredients that he's getting from the supermarket and how he's going to use them in his meals. I feel like I was just talking to my buddy about that yesterday. Like when, how does it, how do we 
how do we, you know, like, look, like, I don't, look, I, my <laughs> name is Daniel. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Like, I just want to be a good guy out there. And the world is constantly changing. Stuff is evolving. So, like, I need, I need the rules. I don't want to be, I don't want to be in trouble for something when the rules change out from under me. So, like, if someone could help me to understand better um, exactly where the line between appropriation and... You can't let them do that. Here it's called Frontera Grill. You can't yeah, ask Frontera that question Grill. because the people that are going to answer are assholes. The people that are going to be the ones that want to tell you what you can and can't do are assholes. Because generally speaking, reasonable people are going to understand exactly what you're doing. You're not an Italian guy, but you're making pizza. There's not a fucking Italian that gives a shit about that. Well, I get nervous. That's what I got. I was like, yo, man, Listen, am I going to get in trouble? Because I'm like, that's my people. They don't fucking care. If your pizza's great, they love it. They'll say, oh, it's fucking Daniel makes the best pizza. They don't give a shit, you know, and thank God they don't. It's not the people of that culture. It would be a few really noisy people that just want to get attention and just want to be negative and complain and, and just shit on people for no fucking reason. And it's just because they know that it get, it, it, it's, a, it's a, a hot button. You can press it and you can get attention. And for Rick Bayless, it didn't work. You know, no one really cares. Because he's a genuinely, you know. You watch his videos. The guy fucking loves Mexico. He loves it. I mean, he's I just. I can understand someone being like, I don't know why this guy's the foremost expert when he's like some white guy from Chicago. Like he's how, not. You know, he's, he's not, not the foremost, the foremost expert. expert. He's just an expert. He's just yeah. a guy who loves the cuisine. There's probably a thousand people that know much more about it that live in Mexico. But here's a guy speaking English right there that's promoting this amazing, delicious food, and he has a great restaurant. You can go enjoy his food. But the fucking thing about cultural appropriation that's so crazy is we live in a giant melting pot of cultures, and that's one of the cool things about America. One of the <clears throat> Look, we're both experts in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? I mean, we literally learned a martial art that was created in South America, or it was that was, was stolen really from Japan. Stolen from Japan. Yeah. But well, well improved upon though, for for sure. The difference between the 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 way the art was practiced before when Count Maeda came to Brazil versus when Elio Gracie and Carlos Gracie and perfected it when they went over it and 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 really worked on the ground game and concentrated more on the ground game, and then when Hickson and Hoyce and all these <clears throat> people took it out to the rest of the world. It's a different martial art, and it's a martial art that has come out of these cultures melting together, and it's that's beautiful. It's not negative in any way, shape, or form. There's, there's not, we represent it. We, we, both of us are black belts in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know, I have a yeah. black belt in Taekwondo, which is Korean. I mean, we, we're Although, involved in this melting pot of In ideas. all fairness, you, you would definitely see that, like, you know, think about, like, the cultural uh, uh, appropriation of cowboy playing cowboys versus Indians, where you're like, okay, that's insensitive for um, for somebody to be like, let me play this game where I'm pretending to like shoot shoot Indians. When you're like, dude, these these are Native Americans that were slaughtered while we just like yeah, that's a different it's like that's a different story. So that's like pretending to be Holocaust yeah, guards. Exactly, there is know? a clearly a line where some stuff like there's there's a gray area maybe, but there's definitely some stuff where you're like, yeah, man, like let's there's that's not okay. Well, here's why that's not okay, right? Also, like even Germans shouldn't be playing Holocaust guards. Right, like you, you shouldn't be playing a concentration camp guard if you're fucking German, right? Because it's a horrific part of our culture. The idea of cowboys and Indians. The problem was I in movies. Are Germans playing Holocaust guards like a thing? For, no, they're not. Oh, I was like, saying so you, like, yeah, you can't. But you know, when we think of cowboys and Indians, we don't think of 
genocide. Yeah. We don't think of the fact that this entire culture of Native Americans was eradicated off of a continent, which it Re- actually in actually real life was. was yeah. But we we think of it in terms of the films that glorified mm-hmm. this sort of Western trek that the settlers manifest did. destiny. Yeah. It's a sort of, but that's a good point in that we're talking about a different thing because you're talking about tragic, historic. Like if you made a funny movie about the Trail of Tears, people would be like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" Or, or just perpetuating some sort of a negative stereotype about a people where you're like, "Yo, man, like." I can completely understand why, where there's a line. And I'm like, right, you but know, you don't get that from being you know, a, an American person it, who loves Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But there, there's a difference between being like, I'm going to open a Chinese restaurant because I love Chinese food and I want to cook the food yes. and I want to learn about it. And I'm going to open a Chinese restaurant where you know my waiters have to use a fake Chinese accent and pretend to be Chinese. So you'd be like, well, one is inappropriate, right. one is. Yes, like, there's a line. Very, very Fair different, enough. very different. But the Brazilian jiu-jitsu thing... You know, I don't have any. Cons- I mean, that's like that. The, first of all, whether, uh, the evolution and 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 it being better was put put to bed. You know, years ago because they were they did it. They were like, yeah. let's get those two guys in the ring and see who wins. And then, I mean, really, it's the most important moments in the history of martial arts, really. And then Horian created the UFC. The UFC was created by Horian Gracie, and he did it literally as an infomercial for the effectiveness of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And he decided to do it with his brother, Hoist, who wasn't even the best guy in the family. Hoist openly admits that his brother, Hickson, would tap him left and right. But Hickson was like the nuclear bomb. It's like, we're going to go in, we're going to shoot you with bullets for a little bit. And then if this doesn't work out, if somebody beats Hoist, then we're going to bring in Hickson. That, that, um, uh, uh, That game that I used to play of, you know, you know, whatever Wing Chun versus versus American boxing. Like I wonder, yeah. and then UFC came about. And we were just like, oh, okay. I went through my own version of it because uh, I was a black belt in Taekwondo. I won the state championships and the U.S. Open and a bunch of tournaments, and I thought I was pretty good at fighting. And then I started kickboxing, and I'm like, oh my god! Like getting punched, it's so much easier for them to punch me in the face. Like, it's like, and you're trapped in a ring, like you can't move around. Like Taekwondo was mostly on mats, right? You weren't in, you weren't fighting in rings, so you could kind of get the fuck out of the way. It was like when, and when you're engaging, you're engaging because you want to. You don't get cornered. So as soon as there was like a way where someone could corner me, and then I realized, okay. There's uh, a lot of effectiveness in learning how to punch. So I learned how to kickbox. <clears throat> then I got into Muay Thai. And I was like, oh, my God, leg kicks are horrific. Like, why doesn't anybody else kick the legs? Because Taekwondo, you can only kick above the waist. Kickboxing, like American-style kickboxing, was all above the waist. And there's a very famous fight with Rick Rufus, who was uh, Rick the Jack Rufus, who's uh, one of the best kickboxers of all time. And he fought this guy from Thailand. I forget the gentleman's name, but there's a video of it. And it's called uh, The Fight That Changed Kickboxing, I believe it is. It's kickboxing versus Muay Thai. It's Rick the Jack Rufus. And he, and he hurt this guy early in the fight. But this dude just kept chopping at his legs, chopping at his Knock legs. Out. And eventually he crumpled to the ground. And his legs were destroyed. And Rick became a practitioner of Muay Thai. And his brother, Duke, is one of the best kickboxing coaches on earth right now. And he runs his, uh, his uh, academy in Milwaukee. But this was like this progression of trying to figure out what worked. 
So at first, I realized, well, you got to learn how to use your hands. You got to learn kickboxing. And then it's like, oh, Jesus, you got to learn how to kick legs and you got to learn how to check leg kicks. And then it was like, no, you got to learn how to not get strangled. Because then in the early 90s, the UFC came around in 93. And I remember watching that going, oh, no. And then training jujitsu, the first time training it, realizing how helpless I was. I was like, God, I spent so much time learning all these things. They just figured it out. Like, Nobody knows what to do once we get them to the ground. So we're just yes, but now there's guys who can do everything, and that's the beauty of what mixed martial arts is. What mixed martial arts is, it's like you can't just know jujitsu now because you won't be able to take certain guys down, and they'll fuck you up standing up. And and certain techniques that even we used to think were kind of useless in uh, taekwondo. Uh, when when people started doing the UFC and getting taken down, now people can utilize those techniques as long as they know other things. Like there was a brutal knockout in Bellator this past weekend with a spinning back kick to the body. I don't know if you, and you're you ever, like a roundhouse kick that you would no never spinning spin. back kick. It's a spin. You spin and you hit with the bottom of the heel. Roundhouse is like like Forward. high kick. Roundhouse is like standing here. You kick like this. Spinning back kick is you you turn and spin with Just the turn body. Backwards. See if you can find. Go to the Bellator. Uh, Instagram page. This was one of the most brutal spinning back kick KOs I've ever seen. He uh, the, he fought this guy uh, Rent Counter Ch- Ch- Chase Rent Counter. I think there were a couple of Henzo guys Chase. in that fight. Chance Rent Counter. Weren't there a couple of Henzo guys? In, wasn't Neiman Neiman? Yes, Neiman, Neiman Gracie. Was, yeah. He lost a decision yeah. in the finals against a really tough Neiman. wrestler. He's he's a great wrestler. Neiman. So watch watch this. Back this up. Back this up. So watch from the beginning. Oh. Watch this. Boom! Broke five ribs. Ribs. That's and it. Chance Rent Counter is a famously tough yeah. guy, like really rugged, tough dude. And he just caught him perfect with that kick to the body. And if you go to the Bellator, <clears throat> the Bellator uh, Instagram page, it shows you uh, his ribs. Oof! Because they uh, they did an X ray on his ribs, and it's. Uh, Have you ever had a broken rib? Yeah, I've had broken ribs. Nightmare. It's not fun, uh, but he has for a comedian. You like to laugh? Yeah, well, this is before I was a comedian, luckily, but it's still not fun. Not fun. Um, He has five shattered ribs that just cracked. His lung filled up with blood. Yeah, one of his kidneys is fucked up. That's how hard that kick was, and it was just perfectly placed. But that's a Taekwondo kick, and like... In the early days of UFC, people thought, well, that stuff's all useless. You can't do that anymore. you got to learn jujitsu. But it turns out that if you know how to, like, if you look at that, look at the impact. Jesus Christ. That is, that's the perfect landed kick because it's on the side of the body. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like full heel, digging into the ribs, instant knockout, and then go click on that right. Oh, that just shows you the, and then I think there's a, maybe it's on his page. <clears throat> if you go to Chase's uh, page, that poor guy. You look at him; he's just done. That's it. Impact. Chance. I say Chance rent counter. Yeah, I say Chase. Sorry. Um, if you go to Chance's page, it'll show you the. Uh, that's it right there. Black Eagle one seventy. If th- yeah, go there. Click that and then cl- go right, and you can see the ribs. Look at that. Wow, bro! Five ribs shattered with one kick. I mean, that's horrific. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Look what it says in his description. And he's like literally one of the toughest guys I've ever seen fight. He said, no way I'd envisioned my Bellator return playing out this way. Congratulations to Korshkov. Uh He said, 
uh, look at this. Feeling pretty chipper for a man with five broken ribs, a punctured lung, half full of blood, and a bruised kidney. Woo. Wow. Yeah. That's a kick. Thank God you're a chef. <laughs> right? Thank God I, I just mean, talk shit for a living. I just, uh, I love spending time in the gym. And I love getting to be part of that, like, training camp when the guys are getting ready for these fights and seeing them and getting to work with professional. Like, no other sport in the world do you get to work like, as an amateur. Right. You never, no no other sport in the world could I be like, oh, I'm thinking about playing a little basketball. Let me just, like, hop on with the Knicks and help them out with their <laughs> training camp. But, you know, going down to that basement in New York and being part of, you know, the the training camp for these guys and was an extraordinary experience. And, oh yeah, it's amazing, right? And then not having to go in the ring was the second. This <laughs> was the next extraordinary. Yeah, I would. Where never do you train now? So I'm training. Um, there's a there's a place called Street Sports. Oh, Hanato um, Magno. Hanato Magno, who is one of the nice guys. So he He's gave me best. my blue belt. Oh, I went, no kidding. I went from half. I went down there, and I've been splitting my time. There's a there's a uh, the old Cron Gracie team. Cron mm. took off, but their team. He went to Montana. He went to Montana. He was yeah. out, but his his team started this Gracie Originals gym, and I think that that Hanato Magno at Street Sports has one of this guy Adam is one of the best jujitsu teachers I've ever worked with. He's an incredible teacher, you know. Like there, he's a great practitioner, but he really can teach, and I love training with him. And then the the Gracie Original guys are right around the corner from my house, man. They oh, just like open great. a gym, and that's everything, right? That like, whole area is a great area for jujitsu. Anyway, yeah. there's so much that the whole by the beach because so many of those guys like to surf too. I tried to go into the um, the 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 what's 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 the name of the the whatever the no gi guys down there, and I, I tried to get in there, and they were which place they were nice to me. It was during COVID. People freaked out during COVID, man. What's the no gi place? Uh, what's the what's the name? Eddie. Um, oh, tenth Eddie, planet. Tenth planet, and they weren't nice to you. I was like, yo, man, I got a black belt from, from Hanzo. I'd love to come in and just check it out. They're like, yeah, you can't. <laughs> oh, like, well, that was because they literally weren't open. Yeah, they weren't yeah. open, but they were open, so they were, like, really cagey. Well, they, they were worried about people, yeah. you know, yeah. setting them Closing up. Closing it out. But they're, you know, they're very friendly, and if you ever want to train there, just let me know. I I, well, it's right by my office, and I'd love to train no gi there because I'm having a hard time finding, you know, I was tra have you Well, I trained there, too, you know. That, I have black belt yeah. under Eddie. That's what I, I would, and he's there, yeah. He's there teaching all those the classes so all I, the time. Like I'll getting to you guys. I, I'll I would you. love that. I'll connect you. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And then I was I went up a couple times to that Baja Gracie Baja Northridge, which is a how was that incredible academy, man. Yeah, nice. Those like all the guys come through there during their training camp for like for the for the um, for the Pan Ams or whatever. And they're well, just what like, a connection of gyms. Oh Gracie Baja has. I mean, they're all over the world. All over. It's an amazing, amazing uh, talent pool. There was a um, there's an old guy, Gene LaBelle. You know Gene LaBelle. Sure, no Gene. Very, so, he's been on the podcast. I um, I trained. He he was he used to teach a class at uh, this Gokel Carizim. Yeah, yeah. And um, I trained there a couple times. That guy, he did a um, he uh, he did like a fingers under the pectoral, like nipple twist, sweep the leg, Dan, Johnny on me. That was one of the most. He was 83 years old, and he put me on my ass. I was like 22 years old. I've never. You can't him. let him do a technique on you. He just. He <laughs> loves. Well, that was his favorite thing to Gene be like. He loves to give out pain. He's like, I'm going to teach the class this move. I need somebody to step up. I was like, oh, I get to train with Gene LaBelle. And he was just like, I'm going to. Gene told me a funny story him. on the podcast of some guys, some young guys trying to break into his car. And, you know, he was like, at the time, he was like 60 years old. And they're like, get the fuck out of here, old man. And he's like, oh, uh -oh. okay. <laughs> yeah. Somebody wants to go for a ride. <laughs> 
You know, he, he was an amazing guy. When in he was when he was in his prime, there's a very famous uh, match. He was one of the very first mixed martial arts matches. I don't know if you know that. He actually had a uh, a mixed martial arts match against a boxer, and uh, where he had when he was a national judo champion. So he had his judo gi on, and he had like a f- mixed rules fight with a boxer. How'd it go? He strangled him, strangled put him to sleep. Guy. Yeah, my but you could brother, watch it on YouTube. It's pretty interesting. My big brother has his brown belt. Um, under uh, under uh, under Hanato, who's oh, like nice. the nicest guy in the world. Hanato's a wonderful man. Yeah, I started teacher. training with Hanato yeah. in the late '90s yeah. at uh, John Jock Machado's. I, I one time I got to train with John Jock, and he he was he was he was very nice to me, but he put me to sleep. oh yeah, he's the best man. He put me to sleep. He had this red belt on. He's like a hundred years old, and I was like, he just beat the shit out. No, of he's me. in incredible shape. Yeah. He and he's one of the rare guys that you know I've known. Um, I've known him since I think I met Jean-Jacques in 98 and he has really from all this time never really been injured and never really been out of shape yeah. and and trained so controlled and so relaxed and just everything is perfect position he's an amazing guy to learn from you know because his his knowledge is so deep it's like from the roots of jiu-jitsu from the early days but also like continuing to train. He's never stopped training. A lot of the older guys, they get injured, you know, but he's been really meticulous about his physical training and his diet and being healthy and also the way he trains. He's not a guy who explodes. Everything is slow and smooth and technical. It's very, very inspirational. I, um, I feel like there's at a certain point, you lo- I guess you lose the ego. Although Half never, he's he'll punch you right in the face. He's a savage. <laughs> Half is a known savage. He's, I mean, that was didn't he just great. go to jail recently yeah, for beating he's somebody like up? Punching someone right in the face. <laughs> like he was like, "Oh, you got the cameras on? You, oh, I'll never punch you." He's like, ah. and they had the Thundercat. I was trying to make he was like the Thundercats logo on his like gangland. I don't know. It's a whole story. It's a whole story. Brazilian well, gang. Listen, man. Um, thank you for being here. We just it was fucking three hours. Already. Was that actually three hours? Yeah. It's look. It's four o'clock. Isn't that crazy? Well, I would talk to you forever. Man. I know. It we could do great. this again. Let's do it again. I, I love you for um, this. I love you for this. Hey, I'm so sorry. I got to say this. What's my, up? My buddy John Bush is a big fan. He met you once. He's a jujitsu guy. And Tell me so what's up. And I got to just shout him out. Right. Shout out to John Bush. John Bush. What's up, John boy. Bush? Um, this is the website for your uh, book. It's called foodiq.co. Um, the book's available right now. I got it in my hands. Is there an audio as well? There's there's no audio. Yeah, you can't really have an audio for a book like this. You need the images and everything. But uh, it's very beautiful. There's a lot of very cool images in it. It's very thorough. And uh, I fucking love cooking. And I love talking to you, man. So thank you very much for coming in here. Good luck with the book and everything else. And uh, next time I'm in L.A., I'm going to eat your pizza. I'd like to cook some meat with All you. Right, I love let's it. do it. Let's Thanks. do it. Thanks, brother. All right. Bye, everybody.